2: Hi, everybody! It's Monica back with you for another episode of Arts or the Afternoon Radio Sunday as an Ice Cream Sunday Theater, and um, you can use your imagination and put this Sunday together however you want it, whatever you want to call the bottom. World, that's fine, and uh, because each each one of my sh- my episodes makes a scoop on your Sunday, and the only thing is on top, I put my strawberry and whipped cream. Yeah, I know it's silly, but hey, what can I say? <laughs> <laughs> uh, but anyway, welcome, and um, we're doing you. I'm doing you another. Christmas episode and I'm going to try to fix you up with uh, New Year's ones but I don't know if I have that many New Year's episodes I might can find them but uh, uh, but anyway I was more uh, taken with Christmas than I was um, New Year's so but and I have my sidekick with me Victor Gouveia My faithful guru Geek, whatever you want to call him And We want you If you like what you hear We want you to subscribe And we want you to hit that notification button Bell, whatever you call it Victor calls it a bell And subscribe to us You can get us on Facebook You can get us on Facebook YouTube. We're having a little bit of a problem with our Twitter Twitter feed right now, but uh, we're hoping to get that straightened out pretty soon. But um, and if you don't like any of that those options, um, you can find us on any podcast player. So we're there. Apple Podcasts. Uh, you're on um, Anchor, whatever that is, but um Victor mentions it a lot so uh but I guess it's a podcast feed something like that but anyway uh, you can find this on any any podcast <coughs> feed I use uh, I like to use uh, Qcast so um, I hope you like the show that I've put together for you and this week um we're starting out with Oh, I just love this guy. Gene Autry. Uh, Can't get enough of him. Um, So I've got uh, this first one is Gene Autry Melody Ranch. And the name of the episode is Christmas Party. So have a good time.
1: I'm
3: back in the saddle.
4: A friendly local merchant who sells and displays healthful, refreshing, delicious double-mint chewing gum invites you to meet all the folks here at Melody Ranch. Johnny Bond, the Cass County Boys, the Pinafores, Carl Kopner. and yours truly, Lou Cosby. And right now, here's our Melody Ranch Santa Claus himself, America's favorite cowboy, Gene Gene Autry.
3: Thank you very much, Bad Lucros Beenharty folks. Well, here it is, just four days until Christmas. And since we won't be able to celebrate with a lot of
4: you, on that day we thought that it'd kind of be nice
5: to have our Christmas party this
4: Sunday. So, boys, what do you say? We start things off by dedicating our first song
3: to the little fat man in the bright red suit. Yes, sir, kid. Here comes Santa Claus.
4: Here comes Santa Claus, here comes Santa Claus Right down Santa Claus Lane
3: It's screaming, it's feeling All his rangers pulling on the rain Delta ring, children singing Oh, it's merry tired. So hang your stockings and say your prayers So Santa Claus comes tonight Here comes Santa Claus, here comes Santa Claus Right down Santa Claus Lane He's got a bag that's filled with toys for boys and girls Playbell jingle jangle, oh what a beautiful sight. So jump in bed and cover your head for Santa Claus comes tonight. Uh (laughs) that it's Christmas morn again. Peace on earth will come to all if we just follow the light. So let's give thanks to the Lord above for Santa Claus comes tonight. Here comes Santa Claus, here comes Santa Claus right down Santa Claus
4: Look, that little fat man in the bright red suit
3: does right for yours truly. Say, that reminds me, Lou. uh,
4: I don't believe you've
3: said what you want, for Christmas. Oh, I don't have to say, partner. Good old Santa knows I want my presents Western-style.
6: Uh, confidentially, Gene, instead of stockings at the fireplace, I'm uh, hanging up shafts with the seams sewn together.
7: You know, more room for the swell saddles and spurs and ten-gallon
4: hats I'm going to get. Well, that sure sounds like a Western Christmas to me, Lou. Oh, but that's not all. Besides that, I'm asking for all Santa can get me of that grand old Melody Ranch favorite,
3: Wrigley's Spearmint Gum. Now, there's a gift that's more in your line, Lou. But now that it's right before Christmas, let's keep the record straight for something. It's delicious double mint gum, its top favorite Melody Ranch, with everyone but you. So I'm hoping old Fatty doesn't forget me when he starts passing out double mint. Its mild mint flavor is always a refreshing treat, Christmas or any day. And that pleasant chewing helps a fellow's digestion after those hearty holiday meals. Now, Lou, it's time for another song. A song that no Christmas party at Melody Ranch would be complete without. (laughs) Boy. with and start wrapping the presents we bought, huh?
1: Say,
3: hey, Johnny, suppose you wrap up that electric train for some Here's us. track. Get
1: right.
3: Here comes old number 999 again. Come on, Mr. Favon, I need more. Hey, wait just a minute. Wait a minute. Now, slow down there, sonny boy. Turn off that train. Okay. Ah! for Marietta,
4: Oklahoma. Now get that train wrapped and put Jimmy Freeman's name on it. I'll be back here in a second. Uh, here, I'll help you, Johnny. Don't touch that engine, Lou. You've got lots of steam. Hey, this thing's all right. How do you make it go anyway? Well, don't let Autry know, but there's the SWITCH right there. Oh, God. Well, let's, uh, let's give it just one more time around the track
7: and then we'll wrap it up. All right, let's <laughs> <see>. <laughs>
3: Hey, what is this? What is this? I'm going to have to run you two out of the uh, room. The Audrey, have The train stops for man. Okay. no go. Right. Stop that train. Come on, stop it. There's a cow on the track. It's, it's him, it's him. Say, where's the switch? Ah, right over there. All right, you two. Mm-hmm. You wrap the other things. I'll take care of this train myself. Always somebody that's fall the fun. Come on, little old lady. Say, Johnny, by yeah? the way... Uh, uh, what, uh, what are you giving me for Christmas, then? You really want to know? Sure, sure. Okay. Close your eyes. All right. They're closed. What do you see? Nothing. That's it. <laughs> oh, no. That's, that's gratitude for you. I got you a pair of bookends. Bookends, good. That's the only part of the books I read, anyway. <laughs>
4: <laughs> What's all the commotion over there? I don't know. What? Let's go find out. Okay. Oh,
3: my right there, you love, have your tickets ready. Come on, Mr. Farman, I need more steam. I do it, I do it. He just wanted to get me away from there so he could have that train for himself. Oh, well, once a kid, always a kid, they say.
7: <laughs> hey, boys and girls,
3: while A-U-T-R-Y is over there playing with a T-R-A-I-N, why don't we all get together and sing a couple of songs, you know, western songs. Yeah, oh, yeah. Yeah. All right, Cottner, give us the key and let's get going.
4: They wouldn't like turkey and fruitcake. Now, I'd like to sing a song that spells Christmas to grown-ups and kids alike. And
3: even though you've never seen snow falling outside a frosted window, or heard the sound of sleigh bells on a cold wintery night, you can still dream of a snow-covered valley and a pine, Just to the pine trees that listen in the moon. You can because this song will tell you how. and some of us forget it. We don't mean to, but we do. And so I have a hunch that this story may help us to remember.
7: About eight years ago, long before I bought my melody's action,
4: Mark Daniels and his daughter, Ellen, lived down the road shortly. As the story was told to me, Ellen fell in love, ran off
3: from home and married against her father's wishes. The old man was mighty bitter. He owned his daughter, refused to forgive her for what she had done. Well, weeks passed into months and months into years, and Mark Daniels came a sour, crabby, unhappy old man with mighty few interests in life. Then one day, four years ago, he received a letter from a lawyer in the East telling of his daughter's death. His last wish was that her five-year-old daughter be sent to her grandfather. I guess it was just about the 1st of December when Mark and the housekeeper, Mrs. Clark, went down to the train to meet Susan.
8: That looks like it now, Mark. little girl with a... Yes, Mark. Come along, Susan, honey. But I want to go with Grandpa. you no, he's going with us, too. Yes, but I want to walk with him. Young lady,
3: you'll do as you're told to do. And the sooner you learn that, the better off you'll be. Now take Mrs. Spock's hand and come along. And that was the kind of walk little Susan got from her grandfather. Well, a couple of weeks went by no one saw either Mark or the little girl. By this time, Christmas was only a week away, so I decided to be the neighborly thing to do, to call at the Daniels Ranch and invite Keith to a kind of pre-Christmas party we were having at Melody Ranch for all the kids in our section. Howdy, Miss Bart. Mark at home?
8: No, he ain't, but I'm expecting him soon. Want to come in and wait for him? Well, thank you. mm mm-hmm. Uh-huh.
3: You're looking mighty well. Well,
8: flattery ain't gonna get you nowhere, Jean Autry. Besides, I'm too busy to listen to all that much. Just you go on in the other room and have a seat. And mind you, keep your feet off the sofa. Oh? Well, hello there, young lady. What's your name? My name's Jean. What's yours?
3: Susan, do you
8: like
3: it?
8: Well,
3: I sure do. See, that's a mighty pretty dress you wear. Oh,
8: thank you. Do you know my grandpa? Mm-hmm.
3: Sure, Do you
8: live around here?
3: Oh, not very far away. just over that hill you see out the window.
8: Do you have a little girl?
3: No, but I wish I did. Say, tell me, uh, are you ready for Santa Claus, Susan? Well,
8: no, sir. You see, Santa Claus doesn't come to see boys and girls out here. Oh, is
3: that so? Who told you that?
8: Grandpa. He says I'll get what I need anyway.
4: Oh, I see.
8: I don't want anything. I just want Santa Claus to
4: come see me. Well, what do you want here, Archery? Well, hello, Mark. Why, well, I came to talk about Susan. Yeah? What do you want to know about Susan?
8: Oh, we were talking about Santa Claus, Grandpa. Now, look
3: here, Audrey. I ain't going to allow no such nonsense to be discussed around this young I wouldn't exactly call a child's Christmas nonsense. Huh? That's what I call it. I raised one daughter with old them crazy ideas, and I ain't aiming to see this turn out the way she did. All right, Mark. It's your business. I'll not interfere in your affairs. Oh, yeah, good, good. Just see that you don't. Now, if that's all, I'll say goodnight. Well, that was that. I felt sorry for Lucy. Her mother must have told her all about Christmas and Santa Claus. And yet, here she was in a strange world among strange people who were trying to teach her that such beliefs were nonsense. Anyway, a few days later, Champ and I happened to be riding by the Daniels place when I noticed little Susan out front swinging on the gate.
8: Hi, Gene.
3: Well, hello there, Susan. How are you today? Horse is fine, thank you. Gosh, that sure's a pretty
8: horse. What's his name?
3: Why, well, this is Champion, Susan. Champ, say howdy to Susan.
8: Oh, hello, Champ. Oh,
3: uh, where's your grandpa, Mrs. Park?
8: Oh, uh, they had to go to town to some things. I have to wait here till they get
3: back. Well, I'm glad the Champ and I happened along. Oh,
8: so am I. Hey, I
3: tell you what, Susan. Uh, just give me your hand uh, and the three of us will ride to the top of that hill and I'll show you where Melody Ranch is. Oh, I'd like that.
8: All right.
3: Up
6: come.
8: Wait. Oh, is the first time I've ever been on a horse. Mm-hmm. Why doesn't he go? Well,
3: you have to tell him to go. Just say giddy up to him.
1: Giddy up, champ?
3: <laughs> well, there it is, Susan. That's for a champion, in Oh,
8: gosh, that's pretty. It mm-hmm,
3: sure is. That's Melody Ranch, Susan.
8: Does Santa Claus come to Melody Ranch? Please? Well,
6: sure he does, every year.
8: Oh, I wish Grandpa let him come to our house.
3: Maybe he will. Right now, though, we'd better get you back home.
8: Oh, let's go to your house instead.
3: Oh, some other time, Susan. Come on now. Tell Champion to take you home.
8: All right, Champion. Hurry up! Whoa.
3: I took Susan back to her swing and gate, and then headed home. Cause I had an idea that Mark wouldn't like my taking Susan for a
7: ride. Sure enough, I was right. That evening, right after dinner,
4: he came calling on me. And from here on out,
0: Altria, I'll thank you not to come to my place no more. I'll raise Susan my way, and I don't want no interference.
4: All right, Mark, but I think it's a low down shame that you're denying Susan a Christmas. Yeah. Well, that will be my worry, and not yours. I'm glad to... of that. I wouldn't have such a thing on my mind for all the money in the world. Well, you're cheating that child out of everything the kid has to live for. And one of these days, it's going to hit home to you. Wait and see.
3: Melody Ranch gang was getting ready for Santa Claus. Decorating the place,
4: putting up a tree in the front room and doing all the other things that helped to bring the true spirit of Christmas. Then came Christmas Eve. All of us were sitting around the fire, singing Christmas Carols.
3: I like I hope folks everywhere were having. Well, we've been singing for just about a half hour, I guess, when I heard the back door open. I thought perhaps it was some of the neighbors who had dropped by to visit So, without disturbing anybody, I walked quietly back to the kitchen. Hmm. Bernie? How to Huh?
1: Why, Susan? What
3: are you doing here? Here?
1: No,
8: I ran away. You
3: shouldn't have done that, honey.
8: But you told me that Santa Claus always comes to Rodney Ranch. And I wanted to see You He doesn't come to our house.
3: Well, Susan, I suppose we'll have to make the most of it. But I'll have to take you back home in just a few
1: minutes.
3: First, we'll come on in and meet folks.
8: I want to see Santa Claus. All right, honey.
3: I'll see what we can do about it. All right, quiet everybody, quiet. We got company. Hey, what do you know? Who's this, Gene? Boys and girls, this is Miss Susan. And Johnny. Susan especially wanted to see Santa Claus. Well, what? Oh. Oh, oh, I get it, Santa Claus, sure.
4: Uh, All right, Susan, I'll I'll go out and look for him. He, He ought to be along any minute now. Here you are,
3: Susan. And you just set up a little fire and get warm while we're waiting for Santa Claus, huh? Well,
6: I didn't know what to think. But I did know that when Mark Daniels discovered Susan was gone,
3: well, there's no telling what would happen. In the meantime, Susan was right in the middle of things, having the time of her life. And when Johnny came in dressed in his Santa Claus outfit, her little eyes got as big as saucers. Well, Susan... What would you like old Santa Claus to leave you? Oh,
8: I don't want anything, Mr. Santa Claus. I just want you to go
3: see my grandpa. Huh? Why do you want me to see your grandpa, honey? Because he doesn't believe you're real. Well, now, I don't know. Why, oh, sure, he'll go see him, Susan. Won't you, Santa? Uh, yeah, yeah, sure I will. We'll show Grandpa what we, Susan. I'll tell you what, Santa. You have all the boys and girls sing a nice Christmas
7: song for Susan. I have to run out to the bunkhouse for me. That's a good idea. All right,
4: boys and girls, or Susan.
3: The only thing to do was to ride over and tell Mark exactly what had happened. As I started out from the door, I heard the horse coming in fact. I was pretty sure who it would be. So I paused for a moment to see what would happen. Sure enough, Mark Daniels swung from his mount and started around to the front door. But then, just as he passed the window, he stopped quickly. Looked in, started again. Back to the window and looked in again. I stepped quietly up behind him and stood there watching his face in the light from the window. Minutes seemed to pass, and then something came over Mark Daniels, something that I'd never seen before. I saw the hard features of his face slowly change, and then, as he heard the boys and girls singing the songs of Christmas, he saw Susan sitting on Santa's knees. He saw the tree with presents all around.
4: Mark was seeing and hearing the spirit of Christmas. Perhaps he was thinking of a Christmas not long ago, of his own daughter, Ellen. His eyes moistened he slowly turned.
3: Hello, Mark. Huh? Oh. Oh, howdy, how Orky. See, I... How I are you? Uh, to... You've been worried about Susan, haven't you? Worry. I've almost gone crazy, Gene. I've called at every house around here. She's all I got left of my LNG. Yeah, I know what you mean. I've been a mean old cuss. I don't know how to make up for it. (laughs) a moment ago when I stopped by at this window and looked in, well, something happened to me. I found something that I lost. A long time ago, Gene. Yeah, I know, Mark. I'm glad you found it. Well, come on. Let's go in, C.C. No, no, no. I don't want to spoil her Christmas, Gene. All I... right. You uh, won't be spoiling it. You'll be helping it. Besides, it'll make her mighty proud to prove to you that there is really a trantic call. Yes? Yeah? All right. All right. Let's go, then. Good. Now, you know what to do. Oh, yes. Yeah, yes, you just just leave it to me, Gene. <laughs>
1: We have more company,
3: Grandpa,
1: look,
3: look. oh Susan, my baby, and see who, who who's this fellow? Santa Claus, see, and he's real. Well, now he sure is. Well, hello, hello there, Santa Claus. How are you? Oh, I'm fine. Uh, but Susan here tells me that uh, I never come to your house. Is that right? Well, Santa, I'll tell you. You see, for a long time. There ain't been any little kids at my place Oh, yeah, yeah Now, now I'm ever sure But uh, but there is now
8: I live here now? Can he come to see me, Grandpa?
4: Well, now, if he don't, I'll, I'll be mad at him But right now, I've I got to get home and, and get ready for Santa Claus when he comes tonight Now you're talking, Grandpa? Yes, sir, Susan I'll be at your house tonight
8: Oh, I'm so glad But all I wanted was for Grandpa to believe in you I didn't mean, want anything else
1: My little Susan
3: Bless your heart Jean Jean, will you bring Susan home after a while? Why, sure I will, Mark Goodbye, honey I'll see you a little later Now, don't you worry Everything will be ready for Santa Claus, you believe me And Jean Jean, would you Would
4: you walk outside with me? Sure, Mark Be back in a minute, honey
1: You'll
3: never know what, what this means to me. I don't know how to thank you. You don't owe me any thanks, Mark. Yeah, but you... You made me see and understand something that... Well, I've forgotten about it. All about it. No, it wasn't me, Mark. It was but someone else. Sir? Huh? Well, when you're riding home, Mark, kind of take a look up there where those stars are. He did a great thing for you tonight. And you might want to think. him. Merry Christmas, Mark. Yeah. Merry Christmas, James.
4: folks, it's been grand. From all of us to all of you, have a good time and we'll see you next week. This is CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System. Uh,
2: another one of my favorites, Pippa McGee and Molly, and they actually had several Christmas episodes. And But since McGee always gets Something wrong. <laughs> I couldn't resist doing this one. Fibber cuts the Christmas tree. The
0: Johnson Wax Program with Fibber McGee and Molly. Makers of Johnson's Wax and Johnson's Self-Polishing Glow Coat present Fibber McGee and Molly, written by Don Quinn, with songs by Martha Tilton and the King's Men, and music by Billy Mills. The show opens with the National Emblem March. Gentlemen, I heard an officer of the Red Cross speak last night. He was asking for money. He said, in part, that it was customary these days to preface for help with an apology, but that he wasn't making any apology. Neither are we. The Red Cross needs $50 million, urgently and immediately. Now, for 130 million people, that's the price of a few cigars or a lipstick. The Red Cross is always ready to help in times of war and disaster. And from now on, the demands upon them will be great. But we are a great nation. So let's give till it hurts. of 79 Westville Vista is not one to squander a buck and a quarter for a Christmas tree when he can drive out of the woods and chop down his own no sir <laughs> and here driving up to the house frostbitten but triumphant we find that lumberjack who saves Jack on his lumber <laughs> fibber of Fibber McGee and Molly
7: get them brakes fixed. Boy, am I cold. Well, come on, Christmas tree. Come to Papa. You got a new home.
9: Oh. Gee, you're getting snow all over the hall. Why didn't you stamp your feet?
7: Why should I stamp my feet? I ain't mad at anybody. Besides, they're so cold, I'm just walking from memory.
9: Oh. There, you poor lad. Let me take your coat and your mittens.
7: <sighs> Thanks, Molly. Hey, take a gander at that tree, will you? Ain't she a whopper?
9: Heavenly days, it certainly is. Yeah,
7: it was the pick of the whole woods, Molly. I had to fight off 20 other guys to get it, too. They all wanted it. Oh,
9: did you actually fight for it, dearie?
7: Oh, it didn't come down to actual brawl, no. One guy ups to me and says, That's my tree, shorty. And I says, Yeah, I says... Tossing my hatchet up in the air and catching it by the handle. Try <laughs> and get it, I says. You don't need this tree for last Christmas, I says. And he says, What do you mean last Christmas? Well, I says, sinister like, advancing toward him with a nasty look. You lay a blade on that balsam bud, and last Christmas was your last Christmas.
9: <laughs> ah, good for you, McGee. Did he go away then?
7: No. Started swinging his axe at me, <laughs> and just then I noticed that this tree, which was a little farther along and was even bigger and better. Oh yeah! So I just sneered and walked away, double time.
9: Well, it certainly is a big one. What do we do with it after Christmas? Hollow it out and make a canoe? Oh,
7: shucks, now, Molly, just. Because what took it... you
9: so long to get it home? You know, you've been gone six hours.
7: Well, I had a blowout on the way back and had to stop and buy a new secondhand tire. Oh. cost me seven bucks.
9: Where's the hatchet?
7: I lost it in the snow. But I know just where it is, and next spring when the snow melts, I'll get... Oh, my gosh. What's that?
9: Oh, it's that window in the dining room. I opened it because it was so hot in here, and it won't stay open. Oh. Well, I'll fix it when I get time. By the way, what time is it? It's after four. Why? Where's your wristwatch? Oh,
7: well, I took it off to chop this tree down and forgot all about it. Uh-huh. <laughs> Then when I went back to look for it, it had snowed some more and covered it up.
9: Well, that's fine. A $30 wristwatch, a $2 hatchet, and a $7 tie. $39 for a 98-cent Christmas tree. <laughs> oh, happy Yule Tide.
7: <laughs> well, I didn't want one of those measly little moth eaten shrubs they're selling downtown. When I want a tree, I want a tree, not a bouquet. Come in.
9: Hello, Mayor Latrivia.
7: Ah, good day, Mrs. McGee. I say, McGee. Yes?
0: About that job you wanted in the city hall. I'm still working on it, but I'll have to have a little information.
9: Well, tell the nice mayor what he wants to know, dearie.
0: Okay. Dig me, Latrivia. (laughs) Well, first, can you dominate people? Can you let the ones in that you really want to see and shut the rest out? Absolutely. Another thing, McGee, can you stand it physically? To be mauled by crowds of people all asking you questions. Can you ignore the whispers behind your back? Can you give orders in a loud tone of authority?
7: Boy, can I. Listen to this, Trev. All right, folks, as captain of the detective force of Wistful Vista, I order you to make way there. Stand back, everybody, the oh, police! Oh, uh,
0: <clears throat> this wouldn't be a police job, McGee. Oh, but one of the elevator operators has just been drafted, and
7: I've suggested you. <laughs> I'll let you know later. Good day. Why, that small-minded boat-grabbing, baby-kissing... No, now,
9: now, <laughs> never mind that now. Say, uh, uh, where should we place this tree,
7: McGee? I don't know. Where do you think?
9: Well, offhand, dearie, I'd say it was a toss-up between the Grand Canyon and Death Valley.
7: Chuck, <laughs> well, I told you I got to trim it down a little. Get me a hatchet, will you?
9: The hatchet, dear boy, according to your official communique...
7: Yeah.
9: <laughs> ...is at present sleeping its edge off under a snowdrift 18 miles north of town.
7: Yeah, well, we got a saw, haven't we?
9: Not a very good one. It's all bent. Who bent it? You did. Huh? After you saw that vaudeville act at the B's last uh, October, you tried to play phony boy on it, remember? <laughs>
7: <laughs> well, I guess it'll still work. Say, it's awful hot in here.
9: Yes, it is. I'll open that dining room window
7: again. Okay. The
9: thermostat on the furnace is out of order, and I've got to get
7: a tree. <sighs> boy, am I tired. Ah, but what a tree! Why, this will give us enough kindling wood for all summer. Except that we don't need any kindling wood in the summer.
9: <laughs> hey, McGee, I just thought of something. What's that? This tree is so big, our little ornaments are going to look awful silly on it.
7: Yeah, I never thought of that. I'd better order a bigger assortment of ornaments. Now hand me the phone, will you? Here. Thanks. Hello, operator. Give me the wistful, Vista novelty and dare. Oh, 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 is that you, Mert?
1: No. <laughs> <laughs>
7: How's every little thing, Mert? Huh? Who? Your niece. Somebody grabbed her and kissed her during the blackout.
9: Oh, heavenly days, Viggy. Does she know who it was?
7: She'll recognize him when she sees him. He'll have (laughs) lipstick all over his face, neck, and shirt front.
9: (laughs) From just one kiss?
7: What do you mean, one kiss? That blackout lasted three hours. (laughs) What's that, Mert? Okay, I'll call him later. Hey, did you get me the saw, Molly? Here
9: it is, dearie. And now, don't get sawdust all over my floor.
7: Why not? It'll make Uncle Dennis feel at home. <laughs> <laughs> See, I guess I better take a couple of feet off of the bottom first.
9: Yes, and trim out a hundred or so branches. Tarzan or somebody might be hiding in there. Who? Tarzan. Who? I said Tarzan. Who? Oh, stop it, McGee. That's I not didn't say bad. anything.
0: You says Tarzan. Who?
9: Tarzan! who are you shouting at? Who? Hey, what's the... McGee, it's an owl. He's in that tree. Huh? Look, up on the fourth branch. Oh
7: my gosh! Oh my gosh! Shake the tree, Molly. Open the door, and we'll shoot him out. Ooh, you!
9: <laughs>
7: Come on, get out of that you big buzzard. Go on, stand.
9: Take, Take it harder, McGee. There he goes. Take him, Molly. Take him this way. Put out, put out, put out to the table. Oh, Edging him toward the door, Molly. Wave your hand. Girl. I am waving my hand. Shoo, scat. Go away, birdie. Ooh. You won't even look at me, McGee.
7: Owls well, don't see good in the daytime.
9: Well, what do you expect me to do, buying some glasses? Ooh. Hey, Ooh.
7: there he goes. Go on. Beat it. Scram. <laughs>
9: Well, thank goodness. Those things give me the creeps.
7: (laughs) Me too. Though I will say it was decent of him to back up my judgment.
9: (laughs) What are you talking about?
7: Well, owls are wise birds, and we both picked out the same tree. (laughs) (laughs) Don't you get it, Molly? I says owls are...
9: funny, McGee. Okay. okay.
7: (laughs) But I've been hooted at enough for one day. Hand me the saw again. Thanks.
9: Hello there, daughter. How's about... Hey, what you got there, Johnny? Christmas tree? Oh, no. <laughs> we buy our firewood on the hoof, Mr.
7: Oldtimer. What's on your mind besides that Daniel Boone cap, Oldtimer? Just wanted to know if
10: you could come out and play. Some of us kids are building a snow fort in that vacant lot up on the corner. Having a peck of fun. Uh,
9: no, thank you. We've got work to do, Mr. Oldtimer. I'm afraid you left to romp in the snow without us.
11: Oh, uh, gee, kids, come on.
10: <laughs> We wanted to choose up sides and play yanks and japs. Only nobody wants to be a jap.
7: <laughs> well, we haven't got time to play now, old-timer. i got to trim this tree before... It... Then you got a corn cob pipe we can have, Johnny. I built a big snowman, and I want to put a pipe in his mouth.
9: Oh, give him a cigarette.
7: Yeah, and put a sign on him. Something new has been added. <laughs> <laughs>
9: That's pretty good, Johnny. But that ain't the way I hear it. Oh, yeah. The way I hear it. P. Hey. What was that? Oh, it's just the dining room window, Mr. Oldtimer. <laughs> o- it won't stay open. He? Oh,
4: well, <clears throat> the way I hear it, one feller says, a telefeller, see, he says, why does Hitler make all
10: his speeches from a beer garden? Well, says telefeller, that's so when he starts foaming at the mouth, nobody will notice it. <laughs>
0: Martha Tilton sings Thank Your Lucky Stars and Stripes.
12: If you live right If you get to sleep at night You can thank your lucky stars and stripes if you feel free, if there's sugar in your tea, you can thank your lucky stars and stripes. In heat and ham and eggs and hay rides and cider kegs, if you like the good old Yankee way so, say so. If you can sing and believe in anything, you can thank your lucky stars and stripes. Do you like it here? Don't you think this country is swell? Do you want to cheer? Ring the liberty bell? Well... If life is gay, if there's fun on Dollar Day, you can thank your lucky stars and stripes. If you can joke and enjoy an artichoke, you can thank your lucky stars and stripes. Dime stores and bobby pins and hot dogs and Mickey Finns. If you like the way we go about it, shout it. If you can sing and believe in anything, you can thank your lucky stars and
7: They cut down the old pine tree And they hauled it away to the mill To make a nice Christmas tree Just for Molly and me
9: In... huh? for goodness sakes, do you have to sing with your song?
7: No, I don't have to, but it helps. Hey, how's it look now, Molly? Beginning to shape up pretty good, eh?
9: Yes, if you like that shape. <laughs> it's pretty lopsided.
7: It is? Where? Oh, oh, yeah. Sure. Well, I can trim that side off a little more. It's a good thing I got a big tree to start with, you know it
9: Well, listen now, try and be a little quieter Uncle Dennis is upstairs taking a nap
7: That guy's always taking a nap And I just found out why he wanted that old brass bed brought down from the attic, too Why? Well, I peeked in on him the other morning and there he was, sound asleep With one foot on the brass footrail and a happy smile on his pretty little face
9: (laughs) Now, now, let's not start on poor Uncle Dennis Uh, again He's a gentleman and a scholar
7: He ought to be a scholar He's had more teachers than anybody I ever knew. Oh, well. Oh, I cut down the old pine tree and I hauled it
9: away in my car. McGee, uh, there's somebody at the door. Who? I don't know. Let me peek. Oh, it's Mrs. Uppington.
7: Oh, not thee, Mrs. Uppington. The choicest crumb in our upper crust.
9: Yes. And wearing a hat that was made in a hurry by a cross-eyed milliner wearing boxing gloves. Come <laughs> <laughs> me, game, darling... Ah, oh, how do you do, my dear? And Mr. McGee? Hi, Uppy. <laughs> Please excuse the mess in here, Abigail. McGee is trimming the Christmas tree. Oh, how fascinating.
10: I simply adore the scent of freshly cut lumber, really. It's so invigorating and so, so outdoorsy, eh, you might say.
7: <laughs> yeah, I'm... <laughs> I might say that if I carried my handkerchief in my sleeve. <laughs>
9: Say, I didn't know you were such a lover of the great open spaces, Abigail. Oh, my dear. I used to simply spend all my time at my hunting lodge in Maine. (laughs) Roughing it, you know.
7: (laughs) (laughs) Never hunt any, moose. Again.
9: Watch your commas, dearie.
12: <laughs> well, did you, Uppy?
9: Oh, no, no. I was never much of a nimrod, Mr. McGee. Oh. <laughs> we called it a hunting lodge because we were always hunting a paw for bridge.
7: <laughs> <laughs> ah, but you really ran wild up there, Uppy.
9: <laughs> <laughs> Don't pay any attention to him, Abigail. You know, he thinks he's a great woodsman because he shot a bear in Alaska last summer. Well,
7: that was something. If you ever walked through a dark forest with, with the feeling that something... something was creeping up on you... Ready to pounce any minute, and suddenly. Wow!
9: Help! He got me! Shoot him! Take it easy, McGee. Huh? Take it easy. No. It's just the window in the dining room.
1: Oh.
9: It won't stay open, Abigail. But say, where did you get that hat? I haven't been able to take my eyes off it.
10: Oh, do you like it, my dear?
7: She didn't say that. (laughs) (laughs) just says she couldn't take her eyes off
9: it. I tell you, it's just darling, Abigail. Oh, I'm so glad. That's exactly why I dropped over today, my dear. To see if you
12: liked it. (laughs) Uh, Do you, Mr. McGee?
7: Well, confidentially, Eppie. And since I'm a plain-spoken man... I think think it's the worst monstrosity ever placed on a human head. Oh! It would make a Zulu medicine man swallow his spear.
9: (laughs) Oh, splendid! I'm a success. What? I just said to myself, if Mr. McGee likes it, I will simply have to give it to my cook. That man has less taste than a nightclub salad. Thank you, Mr. McGee.
1: (laughs)
7: That old flounder. (laughs) So, I haven't got any taste, haven't I? Not
9: in hats, dearie. When it comes to fashions, you'd better just do one thing. What's that? Saw wood.
7: Oh, okay. I got the needles galore sprinkled over the floor in the shade of the old pine tree. Hey, Molly. How's she look now?
9: Well, it looks better, McGee. At yeah. least we can get in the same room with it. <laughs> <laughs> now, if you'll trim some more off the far side there.
0: Okay, I'll. Get... Oh, hi, Harlow. Hello, Fibber. Hello, Molly. Hello,
9: Mister Wilcox. Won't you come in and get some sawdust all over your clothes? <laughs>
7: <laughs> Say, what goes on here anyway? I went out and cut down my own Christmas tree, Harlow. Now I got to shorten the sleeves on it a little. <laughs> <laughs> well,
0: you sure got the room in a mess, pal. You've got enough loose branches around here to bed down a rhinoceros. Well, lie down, and we'll try to make you comfortable. <laughs>
9: Very funny, McGee. But what can we do for you, Mr. Wilcox?
0: Well, it's like this, Molly. I'm a little worried about the greeting cards I ordered this year. I'm afraid the sentiment is a little too flowery.
9: Well, read one to us, Mr. Wilcox. Though, personally, I don't think a greeting card could be too flowery.
7: Why, certainly not. Let them drip, I always says. Well, read the blurb, Waxy.
0: (laughs) All right, it reads... The season's greetings to you, my friend, from the Johnson self-polishing glowcoat man. I hope that in 1942 and 43 and 44 and 45 and 46, you'll remember all those little tricks <laughs> I showed you about saving time and dough by using glowcoat on your flow. <laughs> <laughs>
9: on your flow, shut my mouth, Michelle. <laughs> You shut it, dearie. Continue, Mr. Wilcox.
0: How it saves your linoleum and keeps it clean with a lovely gloss and a dandy sheen. Eliminates rubbing and buffing, too. And in 20 minutes or less, you're through. Just pour some out and spread it around and let it dry. And then you've found the color and pattern have come to life. And so have you, your husband's wife. <laughs> oh,
7: <that's funny. laughs> your husband's wife. <laughs> if that ain't the corny. Hey... What's that noise? That was Longfellow turning over, Hollow.
9: <laughs> now, it was the dining room window falling down again, but go ahead, Mr. Wilcox.
0: Well, there isn't much more, Fine. but it goes the best of wishes I send to you from me and S.C. Johnson & Son Incorporated, <laughs> too. Well, what do you think of it? Okay, okay, I'll get something else. <laughs>
7: Naive character, isn't he, Molly? How naive. Oh, I was talking to him one day, and he looks all around to see if anybody was listening, and then whispers to me that Santa Claus didn't really live at the North Pole. He said he really lived in Racine, Wisconsin. Say,
9: that tree's getting awfully small, again. Better not trim it much more.
7: Uh, I know, but I decided that it would look a lot better up on the piano.
9: Well, that'll be nice. Then it'll be out of the way. Yeah,
7: that's
9: good. I'll go out and fix that dining room window. Okay.
7: Okay. Oh, I cut down the old pine tree Because the ones at the store were not free I told the man at the store There's a knock at the door.
9: I wonder who that could be. Come in. Oh,
10: hello, Mr. Wimple. Hello, Mrs. McGee. How are you today, Mr. McGee? Fiddle's a fiddle and ready to play Humorous, esque Wimple shrimp, What's it with you? I just dropped in to say goodbye for a couple of weeks, is all. Oh. I'm spending the holidays in Chicago with Mama and Papa.
9: Oh.
10: Is your wife going with you, Mr. Wimple? Who, sweetie face? Uh-huh. No, she has to stay here and knit.
7: Knit? Can't she knit on the train?
10: Not so good, Mr. McGee She broke three ribs wrestling with a policeman And the doctor says she'll knit much better at home
9: Well, what on earth was she doing wrestling with a policeman?
10: Oh, she is the instructor at the police gymnasium, Mrs. McGee (laughs) The whole force is just crazy to study with her At least, I think they are (laughs) I'll
7: bet you'll miss her, Wimple
10: How much?
9: How much will you miss her?
10: No, how much will you bet? <laughs> oh, I, I shouldn't say that, I suppose. Sweetie Face is really a wonderful woman at heart, if any, and I doubt it. Well, we'll call on her while you're gone, Wimple, and see if there's anything we can do.
9: Yes, we might take her some fruit or something.
10: Oh, I wouldn't advise it, Mrs. McGee. Last time Sweetie Face was sick, some people took her some flowers and see through them in their faces.
7: Oh, don't she like flowers?
10: yes. She loves flowers, but she hates people. Well, goodbye, folks, and Merry Christmas. And you.
0: The King's Men sing Coming Through the Ride. If a body... Um and through.
12: Kiss a body, need a body, cry. Now
3: everyone must have a loving lassie, but they say that the lassie's always
12: pass me by. Yet all the girls, they smile at me,
5: coming through the rye. If a body, need a body, coming through the rye, if a body, kiss a body, need a body, cry. Every little
3: lady has a body, little
7: lassie, but may, Lads and lassies Get
9: together in the
7: heather When we're coming Whilst we're a-coming
9: To the rock Come
7: um, What are you telling now? Hey, haven't you got that prefix, Jeff? No, it won't be long now, Molly. Anyway, I hope not This saw is getting duller than a bus trip to Bloomington.
9: (laughs) Well, is it still awfully hot in here, McGee?
7: You're asking the wrong man, Mrs. McGee. I'd be hot right now if I was up to my clavicle in ice cubes. (laughs) This is a warm work.
9: Well, (laughs) I hate to keep that dining room window open, but the thermostat on the furnace simply won't work. Say, have you been monkeying with that, McGee? Who, me? Yes, you. With the thermostat? Yes. Why
7: should I have been monkeying with the thermostat?
9: That's what I want to know.
7: Heck, I don't know anything about a thermostat.
9: I know that, too, but did you monkey with it? (laughs) When? Anytime.
7: Well, say, I did kind of tinker with it last night at that.
9: Oh, uh-huh. now it comes out. And just what did you do to it, mastermind?
7: <laughs> well, I was walking past it with a screwdriver in my hand, and the screwdriver caught in one of the little screws, and the first thing I knew, I had it all apart.
9: <laughs> Wonderful little gadget, too. McGee, I don't know what I'm going to do with you.
7: That's a coincidence, Molly. I don't know what I'm going to do with this little dingus I took out of it, either. I couldn't find any way to get it back in there. <laughs>
9: Why didn't you tell me so I could call the furnace man?
7: Oh, I was going to fix it myself when I got time. I'm pretty ingenious with mechanical stuff. You know that.
9: Oh, sure. What happened when you fixed my percolator? What do you mean? It throws coffee across the room like a fire extinguisher. (laughs) And my electric toaster. Oh, well. I have to fix breakfast wearing a catcher's mitt.
5: (laughs) Oh, well. No machine is perfect.
7: As soon as I finish with this tree, I'll fix it. Stop a
9: while and listen to my Well,
7: you go work. ahead and I'll uh, go open that dining room with Okay. That's just for the l- Come in.
13: Hi, mister.
7: Oh, hi,
13: sis. What you doing? I'm you?
7: Sis, I'm currently engaged in giving this deposed monarch of
10: the forest a cross-cut massage. Well,
13: uh, Hmm?
7: <laughs> I says I'm doing a little whittling on this Christmas tree. Look, do you always drink your milk like a good girl?
13: Sure I do, I bet
7: you. Why? Well, you better, that's all. <laughs> Take a look at this saw. <laughs> Only three years old, and its teeth are all shot. <laughs> Let that be a lesson to you.
13: Okay, mister. Now, I
7: wish you wouldn't bother me anymore. Now, i got to finish this job and get the sawdust swept out.
13: Gee, you know it smells dandy in
7: here. <laughs> sure it does. Mm-hmm. No nicer smell in the world than a cedar tree. It's one of nature's lures to get us out into the great outdoors. Gee, is it honest, mister? Sure it is. got to realize, sis, that there's a reason for everything in nature. Oh,
13: What's nature's reason for spinach, huh?
7: (laughs) Why, sis, do you mean to stand there with your little arms sticking out of your shoulders and tell me you don't know that?
13: Yes, I don't, I bet you.
7: Nature gave us spinach so we could have Popeye.
13: Oh. Gee, I guess I never thought of that, mister. (laughs) Nature is wonderful, isn't he?
7: She. Hmm? Nature, sis, is always referred to as she. Why? Well, because... Oh, boy, here's my chance to make Reader's Digest.
10: Nature <laughs> nature's called she
7: because it's so inconsistent, unstable, unpredictable, beautiful, mean, gorgeous, appealing, nasty, and nobody yet has ever understood her.
13: <laughs> you think the Reader's Digest would like that?
7: Well, don't you?
13: The name of the magazine, mister, is Digest, not Heartburn. So long now. <laughs>
7: It's the last time I ever tried to explain something to her, if I'm smart. Oh, okay. uh-oh. Aha, now we're getting someplace. Now to cut her down on the sides. Now, I'll spin the ends a little bit. Let's get her off there.
9: there. Oh, heavenly days, there goes that window again. You don't have
7: to worry about it anymore, Molly. Here, here's a nice stick I made for you to prop it up with.
9: Oh, fine, dearie, just the thing. Yeah.
7: Thank you. Oh, forget it. It's nothing that any red-blooded American boy could do. Say, it was done.
9: very thoughtful of you, now, <laughs> yeah. McGee. Say, what became of the Christmas
7: tree? (laughs) That's it. (laughs) I got her trimmed down a little too fine.
9: (laughs) Well,
12: that's that, I guess.
7: Now to
9: go to work on that thermostat. No, no, don't do it.
7: Folks, day after day and night after night on this program and others for the past two weeks, you've heard urgent requests to buy defense bonds and defense stamps. It's getting a little repetitious, isn't it? Well, it's going to get more repetitious. We're going to say it again and often and loud. This is not an invitation to a tea party or a bingo game. This is war, and we've got to do something about it. It's going to cost a lot of money to win it, but it would cost a lot more than mere money to lose it. Now, don't wait for somebody to come to your door selling bonds and stamps. Get down to your bank or post office and lay it on the line. This isn't the other fellow's fight. It's... It's yours and mine. So here it is again. Buy defense bonds and defense stamps.
9: Yes, and if you live in Canada, buy war savings certificates or victory bonds. Good night. Good night, all.
0: this is harlow wilcox speaking for the makers of johnson's wax finishes for home and industry inviting you to be with us again next tuesday night good night this is the national broadcasting company
2: okay ladies and gents this next one uh if you like vaudeville like i do um you'll like these guys um Fred Allen and Jack Benny. This is from the Fred Allen show. And uh, in both their shows, in Jack Benny's show and in Fred Allen's show, they they like to pretend they weren't friends at all. Uh, you know, they were kind of enemies like. And <laughs> so they were they were all the time ribbing, you know, making these comments about one another. However, uh, from what I understand, in real life, they were really close friends. But this is um, the Fred Allen show, and Jack Benny is with him in this episode, and as his special guest. And it's called Santa Sits with Jack Benny. Uh-oh.
7: in Town Hall tonight, folks. 60 minutes of fun and music brought to you by Ipana Toothpaste and Sal Hepatica. Ipana for the smile of beauty. Sal Hepatica for the smile of health. Fun from Hollywood with our star comedian Fred Allen, who tonight brings us Jack Benny. Music by Peter Van Steeden. New features, new music, new laughs. It's Town Hall tonight. <laughs> Here is Fred Allen leading his parade of stars to the old town hall. Fred's leading the band dressed as Santa, followed by those claws in the theater to of the mighty Allen player. players. Let's join the happy crowd, folks. Everybody's going. Here they come, speed demons. But, sir, Malcolm, you can't break the speed record here in I must, old bean. I've got to get to my radio in a hurry. It's town hall tonight.
14: You just came down, Professor Kickard. Why are you taking your balloon up again?
7: The radio reception is better in the straightest, fair lady. It's town hall tonight. Deep Sea Divers. Divers. Don't tell me you've located a sunken treasure in that wreck, Bill. Yeah, there's a radio down there. It still works, and it's Jack Benny tonight. We are before the old town hall, and there's Fred with an old oil lamp making light of the folks as they pass inside. Let's listen. Eeny meeny miny and the mole the merrier, folks. All roads lead to the old town hall. Now don't jostle, madam. Craig. Hi there, croak voice. Hi, Pest. Hello, Mrs. Sider. Is Jack Benny here tonight, Mr. Allen? Not all here, but all there is a Benny you'll find on the inside with a joke or tune, and we're starting soon. So hurry, hurry, hurry. Hey, hurry you hurry. finish, Fred. You bet. Harry, and it's up to Peter now. His first number is Be a Good Sport. Well, I'll drive, but let her go, Peter! Be a good sport, not you be a poor Be the sport What a good day I That's of Zazu Zaz, Zither these xylophone suppers, and Ambulance satires, Zanuck of the cinema, Fred Allen in person. <clears throat> Jello again, this Jack away. Benny Talk. Go away, go away, boy. Oh, all right. See, right away. Get away from this microphone here. Good evening, we must get a weather strip put on the hall. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Well, we have a nice night for it this evening. And before the Hollywood Weather Bureau butts in with a commercial to take the credit for the weather, I'll read you the town hall bulletin for tonight. Arch White, the first grocer to sell bacon sliced so thin that the streaks had to be pinned to the fatty part, has a special announcement. Hodge says that during the cold spell, he's taking out his dial phone and putting in one of the old stylers, folks. Hodge says you can't use a dial phone with your mittens on, and it's so doggone cold in the store, if you take your mittens off, it'll frost your hangnail. So until it warms up, Hodge is inviting all mitten lovers to stop in and phone in comfort. So much for smart customer appeal around the village, and now for the town hall news. The curtain, Harry. Uh, for certain, Fred. A curtain for certain. Along, long fella, eh? Hey? Uh, I'm only five foot two, Fred. The lights go out. And we bring you the latest news of the week. The town hall news sees nothing, shows all. Washington, D.C. Government Weather Bureau predicts that backbone of recent cold wave is broken and nation can expect moderate temperatures from now on. Town Hall News, checking on recent snowstorms and below zero weather around the country, interviews prominent citizens affected. Tales of strange happenings are rampant in the land as a result of recent cold. At Billdad, Nova Scotia, Mr. Tufton Pump gives off record statement. How did you find the recent snap, Mr. Pump? It's the worst storm I've seen in these parts in the past ten years, uh, all but one year. Didn't you uh, see a storm that year? I didn't see nothing that year, son. I broke my glasses. Uh, I see, well, how cold was it, Mr. Pound? Well, to give you a rough idea, our counseling club gave a community sing last week and they called on me to solo. What happened? It was so doggone cold, I opened my mouth to sing Old Man River. What came out? An icicle, two choruses long. (laughs) Thank you, Mr. Pound. At Eclair, Wisconsin, Mrs. Nadine Wine, a housewife, tells her strange story. You say it was real stormy, Mrs. Swine.
14: Lord, yes. Snow was so high yesterday, folks going by the house were stooping down to look in my transom.
7: Was it, uh... Was it uncomfortable indoors?
14: I was chilled so bad, I shook half the spots off a of polka dot Mother Hubbard.
7: Must have been cold, all right. It was
14: plum bitter. Why, I sat down on a chair and thought I had a frostbite.
7: Wasn't it frostbite?
14: No, I was setting onto my false teeth below us. Thank
7: you, Mrs. Wise. At Rockaway Beach, New York, four dice this Retired pushcart baron Had ghastly experience in the cold wave. What took place, Mr. Messbaum? Hey, what's happening to me should happen to our Polo bear Did the uh, cold affect you physically? Not only physically, but financially Really? What happened? For 15 years, my neighbor Gold Slob A tight bud, but a good one is owing me $4 Yesterday in our blizzard, I am eating Gold Slob Face to face? Beard to beard we are meeting The temperature is below Below zero? Below zero is asking. On top of the mic, zero is looking like a halo yet.
1: <laughs>
7: but what about Gold Slav? Gold all of a sudden getting sociable, is saying, Miss Brown, for 15 years, I'm owing you $4, and today you are catching me and I'm with the settle. Did you get the money? Well, I'm putting out my hand in the coal to take it, and lo and give out, I'm hearing something dropping. Was it the $4? That $4. It was four of my fingers. A climber for it. Thank you, Mr. (laughs) Messer. At Hollywood, California, Miss Fern Fickle, loyal Californian, denies the very existence of a cold wave. You say you didn't observe the sudden change in temperature, Miss Fickle?
14: In California, one doesn't discuss the weather with strangers, Mr.
7: Why, uh, not with strangers, huh? Only entre nous. Why, it was freezing. It was freezing last week. Oh,
14: yes. Zero night. The Chamber of Commerce arranges it annually. Uh, it's to help people with swimming pools.
7: The Chamber of Commerce wants your swimming pools to freeze?
14: Yes. Once a year, we tip up the ice and sweep out the bottom of the pool.
7: You Californians take the cake? No, we lower it back in the pool instantly. You deny. You deny. (laughs) You deny the existence of bad weather here in Hollywood recently?
14: As a loyal Californian, I do.
7: Why, it was so cold last night, I saw hail coming down.
14: Not hail, tourists. You might have seen some pot rain, but not hail. (laughs) This is California.
7: Thank you, Miss (laughs) Feto. Many farm tenants report unusual happenings. At Pine Snuff, Arkansas, Farmer Conway Straggle is interviewed in his barn. Don't you feel the cold here in your barn, Farmer Straggle? You're darn too, stranger. It's so cold in here right now, I'm steam-heating them hens' nests. You, uh, you have to heat the nests? Sure do. How'd you like to sit down in the nest of cold straw and try to lay an egg? Well, I, uh... Me neither, son. <laughs> That's <There's> the... <laughs> Does the cold bother your cows? You betcha. Milk freezes right in him. I've been getting it out in sticks. Milk steaks? Yeah. Well, look, I'll show you. I'll move over there, Bessie. Mm-hmm. Uh, quiet. I'll milk her for you. <laughs> All right. Easy, Bessie. Take it easy. Now, watch this. The milk comes out about a foot. And it freezes, and i snap her off. Mm-hmm. <laughs> You farmer straggle, break me off a pint and I'll take it with me. These flashes have given you an idea of the present day machine age cold wave, ladies and gentlemen. But in the mind of the oldest inhabitant, the outstanding cold wave ever to sweep this country occurred during the winter of 1871. On the night of January 2nd, 1871, the mercury took a 52 degree drop. The drop... our first guest stars tonight, the Basin Street Boys. You have heard their voices many times in musical cartoons, and tonight they sing their latest number, You Drove the Gloom Away. When the sky was cloudy and gray, and the rain is hot all day, you did something sweet to me. Drove, do drove do away, when the snow was on the ground. And the trees, could be fine, You did something sweet to me Go, go, go to the moon warm around you Did I say to fine? ba i am so wild about you, baby And the toddler's off your mind When the smoke was on the ground And the trees, could be found. You did something sweet to me Go, go, go to the be You did something sweet to me. So, 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 Hello again. This is Jack Denny talking. Will you go away? Oh, fuck. <laughs> May I present, ladies and gentlemen? I don't mind riffraff coming in the audience, but when it comes to the microphone of all.
2: <laughs> May
7: I present Mr. J. Aloysius Grump, who sees all, tells all, and knows enough. After reading a reliable weather report, to come in out of the rain, Mr. Grum. I hope, ha ha ha. I understand. <laughs> I understand you're a bit of a prophet in your spare time, Mr. Grum. You said it, Alan. You said it. I'm in the know, see. So I can tell what's going to happen before it happens, see. And I'd like to say right here and now that from where I sit, the outlook's pretty gloomy, pretty gloomy indeed. Yes, sir. What? With with Christmas coming on? Well, that's just my point. Most of the gals who'd like to have mink coats for Christmas are going to get washing machines. Willy-nilly, eh? You said it. Father's checking account is going to have fallen arches, and that ain't all. People all over the country will go through the holidays eating too much and drinking too much and feeling like the end of a misspent life. And there's nothing they can do about it. Oh, now, come, come, Mr. Grump. You are painting a pretty gloomy picture here. i grant that a lot of us will overindulge during the holidays, and naturally we will feel stuffy or grouchy or have a headache because that overindulgence has upset our stomachs. But there is something you can do about it, ladies and gentlemen. You can reach for a friendly bottle of Sal Hepatica. Because so many physicians will tell you... That sluggish, under-par feeling is so often caused by two things. Accumulated waste and gastric acidity. And Sal Hepatica is a quick-acting, effervescent mineral salt laxative made especially to get after both of these conditions at once. That's why it is particularly effective, ladies and gentlemen, because Sal Hepatica not only removes accumulated waste through laxation, but besides, it also counteracts that acidity. So just put two teaspoonfuls of Sal Hepatica in a glass of water and drink it. You'll soon be feeling alert, alive, feeling that there is a Santa Claus. If you'll just remember Sal Hepatica, for the smile of health. <laughs> Our panaturbadors have just played Limehouse Blues, and now, ladies and gentlemen, you didn't expect to meet Jello again. This is Jack Benny talking. Will you get a? Will you get away from here? Is this Wednesday night or not? Well,
1: <laughs>
7: as I was saying, ladies and gentlemen, tonight. You didn't expect to meet... Uh, whom, Fred? Well, right in back of this radio studio on the Warner Brothers lot here, Harry, there's a gentleman who operates a lunch wagon. Mm -hmm. Day and night, he is a veritable tornado of chopped meat and onions, for he is a genial Merlin who assembles hamburgers at an instant's notice for his customers. And his customers, Harry, are only movie and radio celebrities. Now, I think a man who works untold hours to help radio and movie favorites fend off malnutrition has an odd profession. He certainly has Pat. Well, I've invited him to jump out of his frying pan into our fire this evening and see how it feels to be grilled himself. And so then, ladies and gentlemen, tonight I know you didn't expect to meet Mr. Willie King. Willie, you always make all of us feel at home at your lunch wagon, and Harry and I want you to feel at home here with us tonight. Thank you, Miss Allen. I'll do my best. Well, first of all, do you just operate this one lunch wagon in back of the studio? No, I have six wagons altogether. Uh, where are the other five touring cafes? They're in a garage. I only use them for special occasions. For banquets, weddings, and things like that, you mean? No. When one of the picture companies go on location, I send out my trucks to serve lunch, to the actors and mechanics. I see. You have the location concession. Right. I'm the only lunchman with the exclusive concession at the, at the studio. You, uh, you haven't any competition there? Well, there's one fellow running a freelance lunch wagon, but he can't muscle in on my territory. Hey, uh, a, freelance lunch wagon? <laughs> it isn't that fellow they call, uh, Tomein Sam, is it? I won't mention any names. Why should I advertise a competitor? <laughs> You're right, Willie. Well, tell me, has your lunch wagon ever been in any of the Warner pictures? Yes, at the one you ate, you eat was used, I'm a Fugitive from a Chain Gang. It was in, I'm a Fugitive from a Chain Gang, huh? Well, how did it scream? For not being made up, and considering it's a wagon, it looked pretty good. (laughs) Well, you ought to paint your wagon red, Willie, and be ready for Technicolor. You think it's a bad idea? I think it's a good idea. But, say, (laughs) there's one... uh, Don't mind my voice tonight, Willie. I'm taking uh, voice lessons from Andy Devine's teacher. It's just (laughs) having a picture. But, say, there's one question I forgot I should have really asked you first, Willie. How did you get into this a la carte cafe business? Well, years ago, I used to be in picture business. Uh Uh-huh. Now it comes out. You were an actor, huh? No, I was assistant director with Larry Seaman in silent pictures. What was the last picture you worked on? The Wizard of Oz. Were there any actors who were stars today in The Wizard of Oz? Clark Abel was an extra in that picture. He carried a spear. I wonder. I wonder what ever became of that spear. I wouldn't know. <laughs> Naturally, but how did how did you happen to work yourself up from assistant directing to owning a lunch wagon? <laughs> well. Well, when the talkers came in, I asked Jack Warner to give me the luncheon concession at his studio. And Jack Warner did, huh? Yes, Pat. That was 12 years ago, and thanks to his kindness, I've been in business ever since. Well, I imagine, Willie, that during the past 12 years, you have sold a sandwich to practically every big star on the Warner lot. Yes, I've known them all. And you're acquainted with all of the Warner stars today, of course. Oh, yes. Dick Powell, Joe Modell, Edward G. Robinson, Andy Devine, Pat O'Brien, Leslie Howard. What does uh, say, oh. hey, what does Leslie Howard usually have for lunch? Kippers and and, uh, no, Mr. Howard generally has coffee and donuts. Well, confidentially, Willie, have you ever caught uh, Leslie Howard uh, dunking? Well, one day.
1: <laughs>
7: now, wait for well, your laugh, Willie. Wait for your it. laugh. <laughs> Well, one day when he was when he was drinking his coffee, I did hear a splash. You heard a splash while Mister Howard was drinking his coffee. <laughs> was Les dunking? No, his wristwatch fell in his coffee. <laughs> well, who else bolts calories at your table d'ope trailer? Ruby Keeler. Does Ruby like your hamburgers? She says they're the best in town. No kidding, huh? Is
14: Al Al uh,
7: what's his name? Her husband uh, Al uh, that fella, is he a hamburger addict? No, Al generally takes a steak smothered in ketchup. What about Betty Davis? Miss Davis is crazy about potatoes. Potatoes. I've seen her order fried potatoes and potato salad in the same plate. I imagine you treasure the mental picture you have of Miss Davis's potatoes among your starchy souvenirs, Willie. (laughs) There's no time for sentiment when you're running a lunch wagon, (laughs) Fred. forgotten one of Warner Brothers' most important stars, Willie. Have you ever served Paul Muni? Sure, but I have trouble recognizing him. He looks so different in every picture. You've never chased Mr. Muni away from the wagon, have you? No, but once when he was making Louis Pasteur, I kept him waiting a half an hour. I didn't uh, didn't recognize him with his beard on. Did uh, Mister Muni stop in for lunch at Emo Zola every day? I'd like to have seen Zola eating a hamburger. Say, if, say, if they're good enough for Paul Muni, they're good enough for Zola. <laughs> You've been catering to movie folks so long, Willie. Really. Tell me, who eats more, the stars or the extras? Well, the extras usually. Lots of these stars are dieting while they're working. Have you ever witnessed any unusual gluttony at your wagon? <laughs> Once I saw Barton McLean eat five steak sandwiches in a row. Five steak sandwiches? Of... Is that an all-time vitamin record? No. I think Al Dubin, the songwriter, holds the record. Oh, I've seen Al. He's a pretty big boy. Al must weigh about 250. I know, I heard. They offered him a job as a stand. In over at the Elysian Mountain until they get the runaway part. <laughs> until they get the, the runaway part back in place. What did, the, what did Al eat the day he broke your record? As I recall, Al had two ham sandwiches, two hot dogs, two hamburgers, salami sandwich with ice cream and plenty of coffee and tea in between. What did Al say when he finished? It wasn't a word. I get it. <laughs>
1: well...
7: Well, Well, thanks, Willie, for giving us this opportunity to put on our optical napkins and take a peek behind your mound of chopped steak and onions. It's been a pleasure, Fred. You, uh, you like the radio business, eh? It's not bad. You don't have to wear an apron. (laughs) I know, but you found the secret of success in your own business, Willie. You hitched your lunch wagon to a movie star. And the Warner Brothers. Right. Every sandwich, a Warner Brother production. Now, before you go, is there a word of encouragement or advice you'd like to give to any youngsters who might be thinking of going into your business? All of this, Fred, if you're going to be a success making hamburger sandwiches, you've got to make both ends meet. meat. <laughs> meat as in hamburger, I see. Well, good night and thank you, Willie King. <laughs> gentlemen, if you have no serious objections, I'd like to conduct a little experiment at this point. You see, some expert has just burst into print with a statement that radio audiences listen with only half their minds and consequently have only a vague idea of what they hear. Well, uh, you think you can change all that, Fred? No, Harry. All I want to do is to prove or disprove it. Now, if I can just get someone within the range of these tired eyes... uh, Well, this gentleman here in the front row... Uh, do you uh, listen regularly to this program, sir? Every chance I get. My public. Would you, uh, <laughs> would, you, would you mind stepping up to the microphone just a second, sir? Glad to. Thank you. Now, will you tell me in your own words what Mr. Von Zell says every week about iPana toothpaste? Well, I'll try. Let's see. He recommends iPana toothpaste and massage, and my dentist backs him up on it, too. He says you can help keep your teeth bright and sparkling with the regular use of iPana. And I think he makes a very good point when he says that the soft, creamy foods we eat don't give our gums enough work to do. But if we massage our gums every day with IPANA toothpaste, we can give them the exercise they need to help keep them firm and healthy. I guess that just about covers everything. Well, Fred, this gentleman sort of knocks your expert's theory into a cocked hat, doesn't he? Well, of course, Mr. Von Zell. I've been using IPANA for a couple of years now, and just lately with one of those new double-duty toothbrushes. So I've had plenty of chance to check up on your statements. Maybe that's why I remember them so well. Well, whatever the reason is, we're very indebted to you, sir. Not at all, Mr. Boncel. Oh, there's one more thing I didn't mention. Well, maybe we'd better leave that for Harry. He might feel slighted if we didn't. Go ahead, Harry. Well, I don't know. All that's left for me to say is since brighter teeth and healthier gums naturally mean a far more attractive smile, ladies and gentlemen, always remember I Panna for the smile of beauty. <laughs> You, Peter and uh, Van Steeden and the Ipana Troubadours have just played uh, part of I'm Feeling Like a Million. We started our new service a few weeks ago, ladies and gentlemen. You know, on all of the hour programs right in the middle where the announcer says, this is station, so and so and so and so, the music always sort of dies out and for a few brief seconds you miss part of the tune. So week after week now, we are going to give you back the few little bars of music you miss. When the announcer speaks in our program. Will you play the few, uh, the strange there, Peter, for us, please? Thank you very much. Now, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> if you fit that back into the parts you heard before the announcer spoke, you have, I'm feeling like a million. Now, uh, on Friday night, the Port Jervis String Ensemble will...
14: Uh, do you mind if I interrupt, Mr. Allen? Why, no,
7: Portland. Into each life, some rain must fall. Unless, uh, unless one lives in Palm Springs, of course.
14: Or unless one is an old maid.
7: What is an old maid to do with no rain falling in her life?
14: If an old maid never gets married, she never gets a shower. Does she? <laughs> <laughs> Tell
7: her shower as long as she's healthy. What is this? Well, one? I've
14: got a big surprise for you tonight, Mr. Allen.
7: Big surprise? Now, look. Portland, this is the day of digest publications, concentrated foods, and capsule criticism. Couldn't you sense the trend and show up with a little surprise? But this is the
14: biggest thing you've had on the program this year.
7: Hello again for the fourth time. (laughs) Now look, Portland, a thing on the program we don't need. Stuff I don't mind, but not a thing.
14: (laughs) Mr. Allen, it isn't a thing. This is an old friend of yours from the
7: days of Boatville. If it's Otto the train seal, throw him a fish and tell him I'm busy. (laughs) Now, wait a minute, Fred. If you'll just take your nose, that one you used to talk through, out of that microphone, (laughs) you'll see that it's me. Oh, Jack! Jack Benny! Well, I'm... Wait a minute. There's a reception goes in there, Well, (laughs) I love you, Fred. I was worried there for a minute, right? Well, you've been on four times. If you want, took a little bit each time. It's better you get it all at once like yeah. this. Let it pile up. Well, I'm terribly sorry, Jack. I didn't notice you. How long have you been standing there? Since 8 o'clock this morning. They've been using me instead of the bull of a watch time.
14: Jack, did Mary come along with
7: you? No, Portie. She wanted to come over, but she's busy with her Christmas shopping.
14: Christmas shopping? Yeah, right now
7: she's over at Bullets Wheelchair putting me through bankruptcy. <laughs> That gives me an idea. Polly ho, Jack. So long, Forty. Hello. Well, Jack, this is quite a surprise, you dropping in. I didn't know you were going to be here tonight. I didn't know it either, Fred, until I heard you announce it five times last week. <laughs> but don't get me wrong, Freddy. I appreciate that buildup. I'm one guy who knows that it pays to advertise. Now, listen here, Benny. If that's a hint, you're not getting one cent for crawling in here tonight. And you know it. <laughs> Why, Fred, I, uh, really, I didn't expect to get paid for this. I haven't any more right to take money for working on this program than you have. Hold <laughs> you for a while, eh? Now, uh... <laughs> those armchair jokes, they'll hold you for a while, eh? Now, hold on there. Hold on there, Benny. That's an insult. Well, I... <laughs> If I was Professor Quiz, I'd say correct. Absolutely correct. And if I was Major Bowes, you'd have left with a unit ten minutes ago. <laughs> hey, that's nice work if you can get it. You know, Freddie, I wouldn't mind being back in Vaudeville again, though, would you? Ah, uh, those were the good old days. Yes, sir. Say, Fred, no kidding, will you ever forget the time you and I were together at the Orpheum Theater in Sioux City, Iowa? Yep. Only I was on the stage. <laughs> I don't care, Freddy. I made more money selling peanuts in one day than you did all week. <laughs> well, Jack, I didn't make much money in those days, but I was a pretty good juggler. Remember how I used to toss those Indian clubs in the air and do a funny monologue at the same time? I sure do. And, Fred, you remember when you dropped those clubs? Uh, you'd let them lay there right alongside of your jokes? LAUGHTER You ought to know you swept up the theater every night. I did not. I used to stay in the theater late just to practice my violin. Yeah, well, you should have stuck to your broom. I should have stuck to my own program, too,? Right? I had asked for this yet. Sir. Well you had to write well, it yet. Well, Fred, anyway, a lot of water has gone over the darn since then, huh? Over the darn? Yes, Fred, you know how careful we have to be. <laughs> but just think, Freddy, just think, here we are, both in Hollywood and both of us in pictures. It does seem unreasonable, doesn't it? <laughs> of course, Fred, maybe I shouldn't point this out, but I, uh... I do make a lot more pictures than you do. Well, Jack, there's so little of you in each one, you have to make more. Oh, is that why they do it? I'm glad you brought that up. How do you like pictures, Fred? Fine, Jack. I just finished one called Sally, Irene, and Mary. I'm leaving for New York next week. Oh, they're releasing you instead of the (laughs) picture. Now, Benny, if you're here to drip venom... Heed your promiscuous spattering, and remember that retribution is the trailer that follows oral pollution. (laughs) Alan, you're just lucky I don't know what you're talking about. (laughs) Anyway, I had a hunch you were going back east, Fred, and that's why I came up here to see you. Have you decided uh, which way you're going back? I mean, uh, which form of transportation? Well, I was going to take the boat and go through Panama... But I've got a hat, so oh, no. I decided to... Uh, I decided to take the train. Well, Fred, I, of course, I don't want to influence you one way or the other, but uh, have you ever thought of driving back east? You know, by automobile? Uh, what kind of an automobile? Now, don't rush me. <laughs> and it's in good condition, too. Would you like to drive back home, Freddy? No, Jack. I'll uh, I'll stick to the chief. Well, if you'd rather hang around with India. <laughs> the chief is a train, as you will find out when you finish your next picture, Mister Benny. Eh? <laughs> Say, what are you trying to get at, anyway? Well, Fred, I own a Maxwell, and I thought that you don't think you can palm that tin nightmare off on me. I hope. <laughs> Why I wouldn't be found dead in that car? Say you're no better than the engine.
1: <laughs>
7: Why the engine in that steam cabinet is so dead? The front wheels are nothing but rubber paw
1: bearings.
7: <laughs> Where is that uncovered wagon? It's right outside the door. Hey boys, boys. Yeah, hey, Manny. Uh, will you drive my Maxwell in, please? Oh, sure. Now, be careful, fellas. It's a high-powered car there, you know. Right in here, boys. Right in here. Well, uh, want us to leave it right here, Mr. Benny? Yes, yes, thanks, fellas. What's that noise? Noise? I'll cut off the motor so we can hear it. That's better. Yeah. Hey, uh, Mr. Benny, I guess this belongs to you. Oh, the door. Yes, thanks. To close it and it came off in
3: my hand.
7: <laughs> well, you can stick it back on with a little new skin, Jack. <laughs> Say, what's that bottle of scotch doing tied on the front? That's for the radiator on New Year's Eve. <laughs> it looks like the car's got a hangover already. Denny, you may not be a snake in the grass, but you're sure hanging around with a the rattler there. That's libel, Alan. And if I had my writers here, what we'd call you. <laughs> A four bell ras. <laughs> Say, what's up? Say, who shot it? Say, what was that? Did the engine drop out? No, Smarty. It's the new sunken motor. And listen to this horn. That note is by Stakowski. Well, how? How is the car on gas? Well, I get about four miles to the court. <laughs> if I insist. If you, uh, yes. if you put your foot down. Yes, yes. Well, uh, how much does that make to the gallon? Well, I never put in a gallon. I don't believe in spoiling a car. You know how it is with gas tanks. Easy come, easy go. Well, Alan, what do you say? Well, now that I've had a good look at this bear trap, Jack, I know why the Maxwell people went into the coffee business. (laughs) Now, Freddie, I'm not begging you to take this car, only I thought, well, you walk all the time, you're not getting any younger. I think you ought to take your varicose veins out for a spin one. What are you asking for this rhapsody and junk? (laughs) I'm asking $95 FOB. FOB for old Benny. How about it, Fred? Hey, if you don't know, (laughs) laughing at your next Sunday show, all (laughs) right. $1,000 if I could think of an answer right now. If you don't know by now that I don't want that car, you ought to have your skull thinned. All right, Fred, as long as you don't want to buy it, I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll wrap it in cellophane, tie a big red ribbon around it, and give it here for Christmas. How's that? If I wake up Christmas morning and find that monstrosity in my stocking, I'll go barefooted the rest of my life. There would be nothing new for you, you hillbilly. <laughs> So you don't even want it for a present, huh? I don't want it present past the future. You can take that animated skillet. Oh, all right, Fred, all right. I merely wanted to be a good fellow, that's all. You don't want the car, and I think you don't. I'll be on my way. No hard feelings, I hope. No, Jack, I haven't anything against you, not Benny the man. No. I'm just not in the market, that's all. I hope I didn't offend you. Oh, no, Freddy, I'll just have to sell it to some other stuff. guy. LAUGHTER Same to you, Jack, and good luck. Thanks, Freddie. Goodbye. (laughs) Hey, what was that, Jack? That's what my car thinks of you, Alan. now, ladies and gentlemen, very well done, Master Benny. You've come a long way since the last time we met. And now, <laughs> and now, now, ladies and gentlemen, let's all get together and make this coming holiday a safe, sane, and happy one. Will you buy your cap pistols, Roman candles, toy cannon, and firecrackers? Be sure... Wait, wait, wait. wait. Just a minute, Fred. What holiday are you talking about, anyway? By the Fourth of July, of course. Well, Fred, the coming holiday is Christmas. I know that, Harry, but if you start talking about Christmas these days, you run into a lot of competition. And besides, I had a message up my sleeve. I want people to be careful. I want them to be able to enjoy their holiday. Fred, I had a holiday message also. Oh, Harry, did I spoil it for you? Oh, no. because. Because I want everybody to enjoy the holidays, too. And I want them to be careful. Especially careful of a cold. Because nothing can take the merry
15: out of a merry Christmas more completely than a cold. That's
7: why I hope that during the holidays, everyone will be sure to have a bottle of Sal Hepatica on hand. Because so many physicians say, You can often help throw off a cold more quickly if, at its very beginning, you do two important and fundamental things. One, remove accumulated waste. And two, counteract the acidity that so frequently accompanies a cold. And Sal Hepatica, ladies and gentlemen, is an effective mineral salt laxative that does both of those things at once. It not only removes accumulated wastes through laxation, but it also helps nature counteract that acidity. So don't take chances on a cold spoiling your holidays. Take Sal Hepatica for the smile of health. Ladies and gentlemen, we bring you those theatrical termites who have gone through their artistic lives trying to bring down the house. The mighty Alan R. Players. Tonight they present a Christmas fable. It's called Santa Claus Sits Down, or Jingle Bells Shall Not Ring Tonight. Over to you, Peter. This is station NGNG, folks.
4: Our next program will be... Just a minute, folks. Here's a bulletin from the Radio News Bureau. A rumor has just reached us that Santa Claus will not ride this Christmas. Unconfirmed reports ride throughout
7: the country that Santa Claus is on sit-down strike. What's going on in Santa Claus' igloo? Stand by, folks. Assassinated Press is investigating the trouble, and we hope... Is this the Santa Claus' igloo? Yes, I'm Mrs. Claus. I'm Phil Beter, the Assassinated Press. I'm here to check on this rumor that Santa Claus refuses to ride this year.
14: Oh, I'm glad you come. I've been fighting with him all week, and he refuses to budge. Well, where is Santa Claus now? All oh, the old fools in the next room sulking. I'll
7: get him. Hey, Santa. Oh, it ain't no use coaxing, Ma. you ain't going. <laughs> come on out, stupid. You got company. Oh, well... What's on your mind, son? Well, I'm from the assassinated press, Santa Claus. Now, what's this idea? Oh, no, no I, I ain't riding now. But this is Christmas Eve. Trees are lit up. Millions of children have hung up their stockings. The whole world is uh, waiting. Well, regardless, I ain't riding.
14: Ain't no use, mister. He's stubborn. No,
7: I ain't stubborn either. I'm sick of being Santa Claus. in the bag every year. <laughs> Well, you must have a reason for quitting. I got plenty of reasons. Well, will you talk for the press? Yeah, uh, might swell, I guess. Well, now, Santa, why won't you ride tonight? Well, I'll tell you, son. It's a long story. I've been closing it for 1937 years, son. I've been a-bringin' presents, toys for kiddies, loud neckties and handkerchiefs for grown-ups, Every Christmas trying to spread joy, but my efforts down through the ages has been a bit of disappointment. My intentions have been good, but my reward has been nothing but grief. The first trouble I had was in ancient Rome. It was Christmas Eve in the Chord of Nero. The Emperor was playing a violin concerto. <laughs>
3: Is your emperor the best fiddler in Rome, Lackies? Like Yay, Nero.
7: Is your king a master of Pizzicato? Yay, Yay Nero. Shall Nero! Nero play an encore? No, no Nero. No. What? You dog? Begone, on, hypocrite. Where are my throne rooms? Get ah. Now I can play my violin. I'm alone. Oh, ho, 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 ho. What's this? What fell out of my chimney? Merry Christmas, Nero. Merry Christmas. <laughs> Who are you, Lumpkin? The chimney sweep? I'm Santa Claus, Nero. Bearing Christmas gifts for your majesty. Gadzooks, another basket of fruit from the Rome Kiwanis Club.
1: <laughs> <laughs> no,
7: my gift is a trinket, Rare, so rare, it hasn't even been invented yet. Watkins, what is this tiny golden box? It's a cigarette lighter, Nero. Turn yon little wheel.
0: Gramercy, it flames! It flames! Merry
7: Christmas, Nero! Oh, it flames! Rome has scoffed at my fiddle. Nero will have his revenge. Hey, watch that lighter, Nero! You're setting fire to the drapery. I'm
3: setting fire to all Rome. Revenge! Look out, revenge. Nero! <laughs> So you see,
7: son,
6: if it wasn't for Santa Claus, Rome wouldn't have burned.
3: Well,
7: I know that, but Here I... Here I was trying to spread good cheer, and what did I get? Singed whiskers. But that was 2,000 years ago. Dero was only the start of my trouble, son. A few centuries later, I had trouble in a little country to the north of England. That Christmas, I had a present for a young poet. I peeked in the window. He was
6: writing a sonnet. His mother come into the room.
11: Bobby! I'm
16: ever. It's time you were a bed, lad. I'm composing the Have you not heard I'm a poet?
14: A poet at your age, rubbish. I am Robbie Burns, the youngest poet in the Glen. Are you concocting a limerick, lad? No, it's a song with a lesson.
16: By yon bonnie banks and by yon bonnie bray, where me and my two love wherever ever want to. It's no finish. Oh, I can't think of a rhyme for bray. Uh, hey. Hey, and a scotch song? <laughs> hurry a dash We'll be last on the hit parade.
14: Well, you'd better find a rhyme in a hurry and go to bed. Composing on Christmas. It's evil. Good night. Good
3: next, Liver.
14: Oh, a rhyme. Bray, Play,
3: Day, who are you coming out of that chimney?
7: I'm Santa Claus, Bobby Burns.
6: Merry Christmas.
16: What's your business, red britches?
7: <laughs> I'm Santa Claus, Bobby. I brought you something here.
16: A rhyming dictionary. Good one. Let me look. Hi, pray, ray, say, spray! where me and my true love will ever want to stray. I, a bonny rhyme, I've written a gem.
3: Merry Christmas,
6: Bobby.
16: Uh, How much are you asking for the rhyming dictionary clause?
6: It's Christmas,
7: Bobby. I'm giving it to you.
3: Giving it? Help! Father, help! Oh, What's
7: wrong, son? This man's a lunatic feather. A dark sandy hey? I'm Santa Claus, Mr. Burns. I only gave Bobby a Christmas gift. Give him? Grab him, now son, let me and take him to the oh. asylum. Hold on, Mr. Burns. I only gave your son a present. Exactly. A man who gives anything away in Scotland belongs in a padded cell. Grab him, son. <laughs>
3: Scotland. I was in
7: the booby hatch there for 30 days. But that was 200 years ago. I know, but a few Christmases later, I got a raw deal in another suburb of England. It was called the American Colonies. I dropped in at the house of some fellow named Paul Revere. His wife was preparing dinner as Paul came through the door. Christmas dinner ready, Effie?
14: Yes, Paul. Pull up a chair. No,
7: no. Set my plate on mantelpiece.
14: Can't you sit down yet, Paul Revere? Why, <laughs> that land was... that ride was last April.
7: Uh, through every Middlesex village and farm ain't once around Central Park, Effie.
14: Well, you ought to try and sit down for Christmas, Paul. It'd be a nice present for your spy. Uh, who's that? Might be a British spy, Paul. The woods is full of them.
7: And then a gun. I'll talk to him through the door. Who's there? Merry Christmas, Paul, dear. It's Santa Claus. So what? I've got your Christmas present, Paul. It's a cushion stuffed with fuzz from Delaware Peaches. Can I sit onto it? You both. Sounds mighty tempting, Effie. I'll let him in. It might be a British trick, Paul. Don't
14: open that door.
7: I'm fond of her, Mrs. Rapport. Open up. I've got my gun, Effie. I'll open the door. I crack it. Merry Christmas, Paul. Look at his suit, Paul. A red coat. Take this. Now, whoa, now, Paul. Well, sir, when I got back to my sleigh and sat down, I was mighty glad I still had that cushion full of beach fuzz. You see, son, the world's given old Santa plenty of trouble. But all these troubles were years ago, Santa Claus. People appreciate you today. You're wrong, son. Only last Christmas I went down to a place called Washington D.C. I got confused and went down the wrong chimney. I come out in some office. Coming down the chimney, I heard a man phoning.
6: Hello, Hummingbird Conservation
7: Project, Professor Beek speaking. Two million dollars for a hummingbird community bird bath in Florida. I'll mail you check Monday. Goodbye. Here, <laughs> what are you doing here? Merry Christmas! I'm Santa Claus. Santa Claus? One of the Wagner Act clauses? No, no. I'm a mythical character. Oh, a
4: friend of Jim
7: Farley's, eh? <laughs> No, no. I come down from the North Pole once a year to
6: give things away. I give and give all up and down the land to make people happy.
7: You do? Well, you'd better go back to the Pole, Patty. But I'm Santa. No, you're not. The government is Santa Claus today. And that was only last year, son. That's why my spirit's broken. Being Santa Claus is just one pain in the ermine after another. Well, won't you reconsider? Think how the headline will look in the paper. Santa Claus on sit-down strike. Well, Santa ain't a-getting up, son. This is one Christmas I'm gonna enjoy and eat.
6: What's that clock striking?
7: Well, the clock, Santa, it's Christmas Day. It is, eh? Well, I ain't moving. I don't mean nothing to me. I'm sitting here. I'm taking it easy. huh? leaning right back here. Not getting kicked around this Christmas. Oh, shucks. Hey, Ma. Yes, Santa. Where's my mittens? My bag? My reindeer? My sleigh? You mean? Yep, I'm going, Ma. But I thought you said... I've changed my mind, son. Christmas ain't Christmas without Santa Claus. I'm a-given the world one more chance. So what about my story, Santa on sit-down? Change the headline, son. Just say, Fuck Santa Rides Again! <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, Christmas will have come and gone. So, right now, I want to wish every one of you the merriest and the happiest kind of a holiday. And that sincere wish comes from Portland and myself, Peter and Harry, and from our sponsors, the makers of Ipana Toothpaste and Sal Hepatica. And so, then, from all of us to all of you, Merry Christmas. <clears throat>
2: Coming up now we have the Vickersons, and it's called Christmas Eve.
7: Now here are Donna Michi and Francis Langford as John and Blanche Vickerson
15: in The Honeymoon Is Over. It's Christmas Eve, and the
7: Vickersons have not retired. Mrs. Bickerson is busy wrapping presents in the bedroom
14: while husband John, exhausted as he is from the pre-holiday activity, puts the finishing touches to the tree, which stands proudly in the kitchen, the only other room in the Bickerson's small apartment. Listen. John! John! Will you bring the scissors, please? John! What is he doing in there? Oh, no. How can a man fall asleep on a ladder? I haven't got the heart to wake him. I'd better get him off of there. John! John! What's the matter, Flash? What happened? Oh, you poor dear. Did you hurt yourself?
7: No, no, I'm all right i would I fall off that ladder? I must have fainted.
14: Yes, dear, you were fainting like a log when I came in. <laughs> Why, John. What? You never even touched your dinner. Not a morsel of it. I don't like the looks of it, Blanche. Oh, stop that talk. It's perfectly good food. You let it sit there on the kitchen table for hours getting cold. Do you want me to warm it up for you?
7: No. Just tell me what's on that big plate.
14: Are you trying to be funny, John?
7: I'm not trying to be funny, Blanche. What is it?
14: You know very well, I can only cook two things, liver and rice pudding.
7: Well, which one is that?
14: How can you be so nasty on Christmas Eve, John? Blanche,
7: I just asked you a civil question, that's all. I didn't think it was liver because your liver always looks like rubber heels. That stuff looks more like scrambled eggs, so I thought it might be rice pudding.
14: Why don't you taste it and find out?
7: I'm not hungry.
14: That's why you're always tired, John. You don't eat enough.
7: I eat plenty.
14: What'd you have for lunch today?
7: You ought to know you packed it for me. And listen, Blanche, I'm getting sick of carrying my lunch to the office in paper sacks. Why can't I go to a restaurant like the other people? John,
14: what are you talking about? I haven't fixed your lunch for two years. Oh,
7: Blanche, every morning of my life I find my lunch wrapped in brown paper on the side of the sink.
14: Lunch? That's the kitchen (laughs) scraps.
7: No wonder I never have an appetite. Why do you do that to me, Blanche?
14: Go on, eat some dinner, and finish trimming the tree. I
7: don't want any dinner. I want to go to sleep.
14: Aren't you going to finish the tree?
7: I can do it in the morning.
14: But, John, tomorrow morning is Christmas Day. I expect a lot of people to drop in. The butcher's coming, and the milkman is coming. Listen, Blanche,
7: I can't afford to give those guys presents. Why did you invite them over?
14: I didn't invite them. They're coming here to collect their bills.
7: Bills? What bills? I gave you money for the bills.
14: Well, I had to buy presents, didn't I? My sister Clara sent me a package, and I had to get her something in return. No,
7: you didn't. Nobody asked her to send you anything.
14: Well, she did just the same. So I bought her a bottle of perfume.
7: How much was that? $24. $24? But nobody can carry that much perfume. It's
14: only an ounce, silly. It's the latest perfume. Very daring. It's called Perhaps.
7: Perhaps? For $24, you should
17: get positively. <laughs>
14: Oh, Crabby, John. We're not going to fight on Christmas Eve, no matter what happens. Remember, you promised. Okay. I'm not even going to get mad because you didn't send me a Christmas card.
7: I did send you a Christmas card.
14: It isn't necessary to make excuses or alibis, John. I'm going to forget it entirely.
7: I don't have to make excuses. I did send you a Christmas card. I mailed it five days ago.
14: John, you promised you wouldn't shout.
7: Well, then why are you goading me like this? You know, I wouldn't say I sent you a Christmas card unless I had.
14: I never received it.
7: Well, then it got lost in the mail.
14: That's possible.
7: Thank heaven.
14: All the other cards came.
7: (laughs) That doesn't mean anything. One card can get lost, can it? If you sent it. I did send it. I swear I sent it. Had a wonderful poem on it. A beautiful picture was trimmed with lace. Cost me a buck.
14: All right, John. But do you believe me? Let's not discuss it anymore. Okay but I hope you don't forget to send one next year. <laughs>
7: What's the use? All right, so I didn't send your card.
14: That's all? Why didn't you admit it before? There
7: was nothing to admit. I just said I didn't send it to end the argument, but I really sent it.
14: What did it say on it?
7: It said, Merry Christmas to my love.
14: That could uh, be anybody. Let me finish. <laughs>
7: it said, Merry Christmas to my love, my wife, my life, my turtle dove. Life with you is great. It seems I love you more than pork and beans. <laughs>
14: Only adding insult to injury, John.
7: Well, how do I know what it said? I can't remember what. What's that laying on top of the newspaper? There it is. There's my
14: card. So it is. See, you didn't get to have to get so excited after all. Thank you, darling. It's a lovely card.
7: Wear it in good health. (laughs) Well, let's open the presents and then go to sleep.
14: Well, how could you, John? You know we never open presents until Christmas morning. Besides, you haven't finished trimming the tree.
7: All it needs is a string of lights. One of the bulbs is blown that it kills the whole string.
14: Can't you buy a bulb?
7: The stores aren't open now. What time is it? It's
14: 5 past 12.
7: Well, that's good. It's Christmas Day. Let's open the presents.
14: You didn't even hang up your stockings.
7: I haven't got one that would hold anything. <laughs>
14: they look
7: like lace curtains.
14: Come on,
7: let's open the presents, Blanche. Come on.
14: Huh? Oh, all right.
7: I say, we haven't got very many this year, have we? Oh, who's this from?
14: That's from Leo Goosey. It's amazing how you went to the one shaped like a bottle.
7: Oh, oh, is that what it is? I hope it's good stuff. Uh, Mmm, that's not bad at all.
14: John, that shampoo. Shampoo?
7: Why, that chiseler, 2 bit Leo. What do I want with a bottle of shampoo? And to think I threw out 39 cents on a tie for him. (laughs) What have you got there?
14: It's another present for you. From your ball.
7: No kidding. Gee, that's a big one. Uh, What is it, Blanche?
14: A five-gallon can of lighter fluid. (laughs) <laughs> well, that's
7: fine, that's just what I need I don't even own a lighter
14: Well, don't feel too bad, John Maybe you can exchange it for something else
7: Last year he sent me a bowling ball case Must get these things in a rummage sale i never <laughs> <heard
14: of them. laughs> Here's one for me, from Louise Shaw
7: that, That's a Billy.
14: Oh, Louise always sends something nice Not expensive, but it usually comes in handy Well, look at that What is it? It's a Polo score pad Isn't that nice? That'll
7: sure come in handy. Honest, Blanche, you've got the weirdest collection of friends. Is there anything else?
14: Just our presents to each other. Why don't you look at what I got you first, and then you can show me what you got for me. Uh, Close your eyes. I'll unveil it.
7: Well, all right. I hope you didn't spend too much, dear. I I don't really want anything.
14: Open your eyes.
7: Blanche. Oh, Blanche, darling. That's beautiful. That's a dream. A portable bar with a brass rail.
14: Don't you think a kiss is in order, John?
7: Oh, a million kisses.
14: Well, stop kissing the bar. I meant a kiss for me. (laughs) I'm
7: sorry, darling. It's just too good to be true. Oh, you're wonderful. Uh, Blanche, that that must have cost a fortune.
14: John, don't get angry, but I sold my fur coat.
7: You, you sold your fur coat.
14: I wanted you to have the bar, and I didn't have the money.
7: You sold your coat? That beautiful fur coat that you bought yourself for my birthday. <laughs> that gorgeous bald mink.
14: I got $75 for it. The bar cost $85.
7: Oh, Blanche, you never should have sold that bald mink.
14: It doesn't matter. I have a cloth coat, and I never get cold.
7: Yeah, but uh, you don't understand. Uh, open the present I got for you.
14: I can't wait, John. Oh, a muff. A firm muff.
7: Genuine pluck skunk. <laughs> I had made a special to match that coat. It can hold two full quarts.
14: <laughs>
7: a new cold coat.
14: Well, what's the difference, darling? Someday you'll make a lot of money and then you can you'll be able to have a coat that'll match them up. I'm very happy, John. I know, but And you uh, still have the gorgeous bar.
7: that's just it. What's the matter? I sold all my bourbon to pay for the month. It's <laughs> great, isn't it? What a break for both of us.
14: I think it's wonderful, John. What do you mean, Blanche? I've never been so happy in my life. We both made a sacrifice, and that's worth more than all the gold and precious jewels in the world. Just to know that you gave up a prized possession is proof enough that you love me.
7: No, I've always loved you, Blanche. I may holler and rant and act like a first class crumb sometimes. But you never doubted that I loved you, did you? No, John. It's been seven years, honey. Most of it uphill. I haven't showered you with diamonds or bought any yachts. But I try not to deny you anything. I suppose you have your little faults. What woman has it? Or what man either, for that matter? We're both pretty sensitive people. Maybe that's why we be so much. Still, I don't think we're any worse than any other married couple. At least we have a safety valve and we can let off steam. Some of the others just carry it inside until the break comes. Now, Blanche, I like it this way. And I love you more than anything on earth. John. Yeah. Cut that out. I'll prove how much I love you. Where is that liver, or rice pudding, or whatever it is you made? <laughs> it's liver. I'll eat every bit of it if it kills me. Let's go.
14: <laughs> Merry Christmas, darling.
7: Merry Christmas. <laughs>
2: This one comes from the Jack Benny show and uh, Jack Benny had several Christmas episodes um, and that's what I really enjoyed about him and and he I like it because he he, he kept them Christmassy he didn't throw other stuff in with them and uh, that's what I really like about Jack's Christmas shows and this one is one of my very faves. It's called An Old Fashioned Christmas.
4: <arresting Voulauptain> the Jello program, starring Jack Benny with Mary Livingston and Phil Harrison, his orchestra. The orchestra opens a program with I Feel a Song coming on. the air around you, it's written in people's faces, it's anywhere and everywhere, the wonderful excitement that comes with Christmas week. Now when spirits are high and appetites are keen, Jell-O is the perfect dessert for you to serve. For Jell-O's festive, shining colors, its delicious fresh fruit flavor are right in keeping with the gaiety of the season. So let Jell-O help you celebrate your holidays. Serve it in any one of its six delicious flavors, flavors unusually rich because they come from fresh, ripe fruit. But just remember that there is only one Jell-O, and only Jell-O brings you that extra-rich fruit flavor. So make no mistake. Insist on the real thing. Insist on genuine Jell-O. we bring you a man who stands for good, wholesome entertainment, who stands for bright, sparkling humor. In fact, a man who stands for almost anything, Jack
1: Benny.
4: Hello again.
7: This is standing Jack Benny talking. (laughs) Listen, Don, I may be easygoing and all that, but there's a limit to just how much I will stand. I think you found that out the past few weeks. But uh, I've never really seen you blow up, Jack. Well, that's because I manage to keep myself under control.
4: But if I ever lose my temper, well, I just hope I'm not around when it happens. Oh, Jack, you haven't such a temper. Well, I've heard you argue with Phil and You've been as gentle as a lamb. Yes, Don, but you'll never know the battle that goes on inside of me.
7: How I have to fight to hold myself back.
4: Well, that's generally a nice safe quarrel. Jack, I I don't want to interfere But I do think that since Christmas is so near That you and Phil ought to make up No, Don The wound is too deep (laughs) You see, you only know me on the
7: surface But there are really two Jack Bennies. There's the patient, amiable, fun-loving fellow You see around the studio And then there's that other me Stark, savage, primitive A throwback to the Stone
1: Age.
7: I tell you, Don, one minute I'm as meek as a mouse, and then all of a sudden I'm Vesuvius erupting. My, my. Well, anyway, I'm through coddling people around here, and that goes for Phil Harris or anybody else. You know, you can go just so far, and then the worm turns. You're right, Jack. I'll say I am.
18: Hello, Worm.
7: (laughs) Well, I haven't turned yet. You better watch your step, too, Mary. What I just said about Phil goes for everybody on this program.
18: I'm not worried about you. I've got my own troubles. You know, I just had an awful fight with myself. You did? You may not know it, Jack, but there are two Mary Livingstons.
7: Oh, there are.
18: Yes. There's the quiet, home-loving me, who spends her time in the
7: kitchen. I see.
18: And then there's the other me, Wild, reckless, with a yen for caviar and cheap jewelry.
4: (laughs) Oh, so so you've got a dual personality,
7: too.
18: Have I? I'm a regular Dr. Jekyll and Mrs. Hyde.
7: Well,
4: Uh, say, Don, did Phil get here yet? Oh, yes, Jack. He's right on time tonight.
7: He must have read my thoughts last week. Believe me, it's good to put your foot down once in a while.
4: Hello, Mary. Hello, Jack. Hello, Kenny. Say, what kind of a hello was that? That was my other self talking. (laughs) Hey, Don, look who's got another self. Oh, yeah? I've got two me's, too. Oh, you have, huh? Sure. There's one me that you all know around the studio. Good natured, dumb, and unconscious. Oh.
0: And then there's the real me. Smart, bright, and witty.
18: Why don't you bring him around sometime?
1: (laughs)
7: Oh, Mary, leave him alone.
18: Oh, that guy I don't know enough to come in out of the rain.
7: He does, too.
4: Come in where?
18: <laughs>
7: Forget it, Kenny. It doesn't rain in California anyway.
18: It doesn't? No. Then what keeps falling out of the sky, orange juice? <laughs>
4: well, maybe the weather has a dual personality, too. You know, there are two sides to everything and everyone. Don't you think so, Don? Positively. And now that you've brought it up, you know, Jack... You may not believe this, but there are really two Don Wilsons. Oh, I can see that, Don. (laughs) But a little dieting will take care of that, you know. Oh, you're laughing at my expanse. No, 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 I'm I'm serious. But all kidding aside, I, I too, have another self. There's the quiet, retiring me who just says, Jell-O is the fastest-selling gelatin dessert in the world, and every day millions of people eat it. I see. And then there's that other me that says the Jell-O has six delicious oh. flavors: strawberry, raspberry, cherry, orange, lemon, and lime. Why, Don? You frightened me. Oh. quick, Playboy! Don, go back to the oven <laughs>
7: can tell, she comes from Dixie, conducted by Phil Harris, who also has a duo personality. By that I mean he's a (laughs) two-timer. You know, during every number, he waves one hand at the orchestra and the other at the girls in the audience. And it's got to stop. All right, I'll quit waving at the orchestra. Well, at least that'll help the music. (laughs) Or you've even poisoned the boys in the band against me. I have not. You haven't? Then why don't they laugh at my joke? Why don't you say something funny?
1: Hmm. I don't
7: want to establish a precedent around here, that's why. (laughs) That's awfully good. Laugh at him, boys. (laughs) Well, at least they were together. That's more than I can say about their music. (laughs) (laughs) Maui.
10: What happened?
1: Uh,
18: Jack thought he said something funny. Hmm.
7: It's a fine bunch I'm associated with.
18: What's the matter with you, Jack? Every year you pick a fight with us (laughs)
7: Well, what about it?
18: Last year it was just before Christmas, too
4: (laughs) Well, I like to do my Christmas scrapping early Jack, why don't you consider my suggestion and make up with Phil? How about it, Phil? Well, I'm willing if that horseless cowboy is
1: (laughs) Yeah?
7: Well, I'm not a horseless cowboy No, you're a brainless master of ceremonies Oh, yeah? That means fight in my country I wish we were there.
18: (laughs) Gee, a little geography saves Jack a lot of trouble.
7: (laughs) Yeah. It'd be a lot of trouble right now if it wasn't that Kenny has to sing his songs. I can
4: wait, Jack. You sing when you're supposed to, not when you're ready. (laughs) Oh, this thing's getting worse and worse. Come on, Jack. Now, make up with Phil. What do you say? No, Don. I realize this is the
7: time of year when we must forgive and forget. But even this holiday spirit cannot erase the scar that has been etched into my heart.
4: Oh, uh, Jack, you're making a scar out of a molehill. No, I'm not.
7: Did you ever hear that famous poem by Ludwig Schmutz?
1: <laughs> <laughs>
4: Chains author That tonight. poem <laughs> called Ferret with a Grin? No.
7: Well, it goes something like this. When your soul is torn asunder... By some fellow's thoughtless blunder and your trouble deep down under, bear it with a grin. When he makes your life so dreary and your eyes with tears are bleary and your, oh, so gosh darn weary, (laughs) ha, ha, bear it with a grin. Mary. So if your false friend should forsake you and a fool he tries to make you, point at him and say you snake you... And... I say it with a groan.
1: <laughs> Thank
7: you. Uh, I guess you know how I feel about it now, Don. Sing, Kenny.
18: And my poems are supposed to be bad. <laughs>
19: Gale of the
7: By Kenny Baker, and tonight it seemed to have an extra touch of tenderness. But there's one thing that puzzles me, Kenny. How can you say so many dumb things and yet sing so sweetly? Well,
4: I don't have to think when I sing. <laughs> oh. <laughs>
18: I bet he's got a record in his mouth.
4: <laughs> I doubt it. Oh, well, Jack. Yes, Don. I uh, don't want to interrupt the program, but I may not get to see you again until after Christmas. That's right. Well, uh, it's come to the point, Jack. Uh, Mary, Kenny, and I got together and bought you a little Christmas present, which I hope you'll like. Well, thanks, Don. And Mary. You too, Kenny. Oh, you're, you're welcome. welcome. Uh, here you are, Jack. Here, I
7: imagine it's something awfully nice. <laughs> well, well. But... Gee, this is a surprise a gold button hook. <laughs> uh huh. Say, that'll come in handy. Of course, I haven't worn button shoes in a long time, but
4: if they ever come back, boy, I'll be all set. <laughs> well, I'm glad you like it, Jack.
7: Mmm, it's a beautiful button hook. And gold, too.
4: Yeah, and there's a toothpick on one
7: end. <laughs>
1: oh, there sure is. <laughs>
7: well.
18: If Keith ever come back, you'll be all set. <laughs>
7: Well, thanks, kids. I, I sure appreciate this. See, you must have gone back 20 years to get it. Oh, it wasn't any trouble, Jack. No, I imagine it wasn't. Now, uh, uh, gather... Gather round, everybody. It's my turn to play Santa Claus. I got a little surprise for most all of you. Here's a little gift for you, Kenny. A beautiful red silk necktie.
4: Oh, thanks, Jack.
7: Isn't it pretty? Gee... <laughs>
4: You know, this looks like the same tie I gave you last year. Well, it isn't. It's different.
18: Yeah, it's got spots on it now.
7: (laughs) Quiet. He can have it cleaned. And Don, here's a present for you. It's something I
4: know you love. What is it? A box of genuine Jello.
1: Oh, goody! (laughs) I knew it. My
4: my wife's going to give me a sliced pineapple for Christmas. They'll go swell together. Oh, they sure will. And.
1: Oh,
18: Jack. What? Where's the present I'm going to exchange?
7: Here, and don't be funny. Hmm. Change. What is it? What is it? Can't you see? It's an earring.
18: An earring? Yeah. One earring? Where's the other one?
7: Well, there'll be other Christmases, won't there?
18: This is a fine present. Now I'll be lopsided.
7: Put it on, Mary. That's a style now anyway. One earring. Uh, Jack, uh, didn't you forget somebody? Not anybody that didn't forget me. (laughs) But to show you the difference in characters... Come here, Mary. Here's a present for him. (laughs) You give it to him.
1: Okay.
18: Here, Phil. Jack told me to give you this Christmas present.
7: What is it? It's a curling iron. (laughs) A curling iron? Yes. Thanks, only my hair is naturally curly. Well, if it ever straightens out, you'll be all set.
1: <laughs>
7: and incidentally, it's time for your next number to stop grinning at the girls in the audience and play. All right, Simon. Yeah, now, wait him. I may be exacting, but I'm no Simon Legree. I meant simple Simon. Oh.
1: <laughs>
7: now I'm stumped.
1: <laughs> well, go ahead
7: and play a number, smarty pants. <laughs> Say, Mary, how do you like that earring I gave you?
18: Fine. My ear's turning green already.
7: <laughs> Some Christmas spirit around here. Mmm.
18: Some presents, too. Yeah. <laughs>
7: section played by Curly Harris, the kink of jazz. <laughs> and incidentally, folks, not that I care, but evidently Mr. Harris has never heard that it's better to give than to receive. Imagine a guy not reciprocating after he's given him a swell curling iron. Hmm. Well, it isn't even electric. Hmm, I suppose you like Benjamin Franklin to autograph it. <laughs> what a guy. And now, folks, this being our last program.
4: before. <laughs> Oh, well, come in. Hello, Chick Fanny. <laughs> uh, hello, Patsy. Hey, good to see you again. How'd you happen to drop in? Well, it's the holiday season, and I'm bringing you time greetings.
7: Well,
1: thanks. What
4: are you doing these days, Patsy? Can you read Hengel? <laughs>
1: of
7: course I can read English. Then here's my card. Hmm, Pat C. Flick. Suit, clothes, and Merry Christmas. <laughs> Well, so you're in the clothing business now, huh? <laughs> yes, sir. And, Jeeks, besides bowl rolling, I brought you a Christmas present. Well, that's very nice of you, Patrick, <laughs> but you didn't have to do it. Don't mention it, Judy.
1: <laughs>
7: I'm sentimental. Oh. Oh, look at this a brand new suit. Is it really a present for me? It's not for Marlene Dietrich. <laughs> well, it sure is a nice gesture. Hey, wait a minute. There's only the pants and vest here. Where's the coat? That'll cost you $75. <laughs> I see. Well, I don't need a new suit. You don't need a suit. Look at that coat you're wearing. What's wrong with it? The Cetates I wouldn't put in that bag. <laughs> oh, no, you wouldn't, eh? And look at this cheap material. You call this a bucket? <laughs> see? Hey, wait a
4: minute. Hold on there. What are you doing, to drag? Don't interrupt sale.
1: <laughs>
4: Say, you've got a lot of nerve. And look at this sleeve. Now, is that a true Thayette? <laughs> Not now it isn't. No. <laughs> and look at those pins.
18: Shall I leave the room, Jack?
4: <laughs> no,
7: this is going far enough. Here, take back your pants and vest and get out of here. Well, that's Well, you hmm. give a guy a present and he don't even reciprocate. <laughs> now, goodbye and Happy New Year. Who
19: needs it?
7: Hey! my coat all ripped and torn. I got a date with a doll right after the program.
1: <laughs>
7: now, what are you laughing at?
18: If it's a rag doll, you're all set.
7: <laughs> and now, ladies and gentlemen, as I said before, this being our last program before Christmas, tonight we are going... What's that?
4: Sheriff Andy
7: Devine. Glad to see Andy. Oh, glad to see you, too, Buck.
1: <laughs>
4: what brings you here tonight?
1: <laughs>
4: well, ain't you and me going out looking for Cactus Face, Elmer, the outlaw?
7: Doggone it, Andy. We got to arguing and talking up here tonight and giving out presents. I'm afraid we won't be able to do Buck Benny rides again until next Sunday. Oh, shucks.
4: And I'm all dressed up in my cowboy suit. Well, don't take it so hard. Come over next Sunday and you can play
7: with us. Sorry you had to make this long trip, Andy.
4: Well, I didn't mind coming over. I'm kind of stuck on Mary, you know. <laughs> Stop blushing, Andy. I ain't
7: blushing, I'm boiling. <laughs> Well, Andy, I'm sorry about Buck Benny. I really am. And...
4: Well, um, I'm sure disappointed, too. I know how you feel. Oh, doggone it. But you know, Buck, that reminds me of a poem by Ludwig
1: Schmutz.
4: <laughs> <laughs> good old Schmutzie. Good old Schmutzie. <laughs> by Ludwig, huh? Yes, sir. And it goes something like this. When you're just a buckaroo... <laughs> And Buck Benny, you cannot do. Don't feel bad and don't feel blue. (laughs) Just bear it with a grin.
7: (laughs) Ah, those are real sentiments, Andy. Ludwig sure went to town on
4: that one, huh? Well, so long, Buck. See you next week. So long, Andy.
1: So long. (laughs) Ah,
7: he... He sure has a lot of fun, doesn't he, huh? Well, i got to run along now, fellas. The program is nearly over anyway. I don't think you need me here any longer tonight. and Besides, I've got a date, so I'm going to go. Uh, goodbye, Mary. Goodbye, Jack, and a Merry Christmas. Same to you. So long, Don. Goodbye, Kenny. Merry, Merry Christmas, Christmas Jack. Same to you. Well, so long. Hey, Jack. Yeah? Merry Christmas to you. Same to you, Phil. <laughs> <laughs> goodbye. Wait a minute, Jack. I want to talk to you. Well, hurry up. I've got a date. Listen, Jack, I think we've both been acting like a couple of kids. But I want to tell you one thing, and it comes right from my heart. I've been with you 12 weeks now, and I've enjoyed every minute of it. Hmm. You wouldn't know it. <laughs> of course, sometimes you've tried to act hard-boiled, but deep down underneath, you're a regular guy. No, oh, I am, am I? Well, I'm going. Wait a minute, Jack. Just to show you how I feel about you, here's a little Christmas present. Thanks.
18: Well, why don't you open it?
7: Oh, you open it. It's probably some trick.
1: <laughs>
7: gee, I hope you like it, Jack. Oh, I already said
1: thanks. Oh, gee, look, fellas.
4: God, gee
7: where?
1: Oh,
18: Jack, look. Hmm. Why, it's the most beautiful watch I've ever seen.
7: I've got a watch.
18: And look at that platinum case and diamonds all around it.
7: Mm, I thought so. If I wear that, somebody will hold me up and hit me over the head.
18: Oh, gee, it's beautiful, Phil. Oh, it certainly is. Oh, yes, that's really something.
7: Gee, hmm. it, it is pretty, isn't it? Gee, platinum and diamonds all around it. Gee, thanks, Phil. You're welcome, Jack. Oh, boy, that... That is gorgeous, huh? Well, Phil, I... Yeah, I don't know what to say now. I feel so... Oh, I don't know. I, oh, forget about it, Jack. Yeah, I... I wish I'd have bought you an electric iron now. I think
1: <laughs>
7: boy, I... Say, I'll bet this must have set you back plenty, huh, Phil? Well... Just don't fire me for about two years. <laughs> <laughs> well, Phil, all I can say is I'm terribly sorry for everything that happened. And see if I can ever do anything for you. And if you, if you ever want to know what time it is, don't hesitate to ask me. <laughs> I don't value anything, Jack, as much as I do your friendship. Gee, I, I didn't know you felt that way. Gee, but but all I can say is, well... Thanks, Phil.
3: Oh,
4: you're welcome, Jay. Merry
1: Christmas.
4: Come on, fellas, come on, pull yourselves together. Ladies and gentlemen, I wish you could all be here to witness this touching display of friendship. In fact, I... I personally am so moved that... I can hardly say that. The Jello is the most tempting, colorful person in the world.
1: So just be sure to get the genuine Jello with a big red letter down the back. Uh, <laughs>
4: Santa Claus, you bet your life there is, and you'll be more certain of it than ever, once you taste Jell-O Chocolate Pudding. It's the best that comes your way since the old days when your grandmother made chocolate pudding. Smoother, creamier, more chocolatey, with a grand homemade flavor. That's Jell-O Chocolate Pudding. And it's amazingly easy and inexpensive to make. Here's all you do. Mix the contents of one package with some milk in the top of your cup of cool, and this delicious pudding is all ready to be served in your sherbet glasses. And if you want to give it an extra special Christmas touch, add some raisins or toasted nuts or both. You'll get six luscious servings from each package of Jell-O chocolate pudding, which sells for the same low price as Jell-O. Ask your grocer about it tomorrow. If he hasn't put it in stock yet, be sure he orders it for you. Remember the name, Jell-O chocolate pudding.
7: Number of the 12th program in the new Jello series, and we'll be with you again next Sunday night at the same time when you will hear our next installment of Buck Benny Rides Again. Well, fellas, I was going out on a party tonight, but I'd much rather be with a gang. Come on, let's all go out and make whoopee. Okay, all right, how about you, Phil? Thanks, Jack, but I've already got a date tonight. Oh, bring her along. And if she's got a girlfriend, bring her along for me. She has, Jack, but her girlfriend isn't very pretty. Oh, I don't care. Phil, Z, as long as I'm with you.
18: And Phil don't care as long as he's with a girl. <laughs> <laughs> Good night, folks,
4: and Merry Christmas.
1: you,
4: The tune here is Love in Your Eyes from the big broadcast of 1937. Summer Night is from Sing Me a Love Song. The Jello program comes to you over the Red Network from the Hollywood Studios of the National Broadcasting Company. KFI Los Angeles, Earl C. Anthony Incorporated. Fifteen seconds before nine.
2: I love this little guy. Cinnamon Cinnamon Bear. Cinnamon Bear and Patty. Oh, such a cute little show. Um and but the name of this one is just plain old Santa Claus.
16: And here's the cinnamon bell.
15: The most magical and enormous flying hat landed Judy and Jimmy and their friends in a wonderful land of ice and snow. Just as Queen Melissa instructed them, they asked the first person they met where to find Nicky Frudel. He was a snowman and told them that Mr. Frudel could be found in a white palace. Up the steps they went and were met by Nicky Frudel, a little elf dressed all in white fur. Nicky invited them in and led them to a door. A door which is just about to open on the gentleman who can tell them how to get their broken silver star fixed. And who do you think it is? Well, I'll let Judy tell you.
16: Santa Claus. Ulickers. You don't mean the real Santa Claus, do you, Mr. Poodle? Of course, Jimmy. And no one else. I'm a stingin'? All right, here we go. <laughs> Oh, my goodness. Willickers. willikers.
6: <laughs> welcome, welcome, my children. Come right in. I've been expecting you.
16: Thanks, Santa. Don't mind if I do.
5: Your invitation is most
6: acceptable. Uh, thank you. Come on, come on, Judy and Jimmy. Now, don't be bashful. <laughs> Go
18: ahead. I guess maybe I'm silly. But it's kind
16: of exciting to meet the really truly Santa Claus. Yes, you see we never thought we wouldn't. Well, it's kind of like shaking hands with with the president or something. Oh, oh, oh,
6: oh. Well, well, don't you feel that way now? Don't you know that I love children better than anything in the world?
16: I guess
4: so. Uh, but...
6: Come on and sit up on my lap while I finish reading a few letters. Hmm?
4: Thank you, Santa Claus.
6: There.
4: shoo, Daisy.
6: Ha, <laughs> ha, Comfy?
18: Oh, yes, thank you, Santa Claus.
6: Now, Jimmy, suppose you sit on the arm of my big chair. How about it?
16: Okay, Santa Claus. You
6: know, this is quite a treat for me. The most I ever get to see of children is when they're sound asleep.
16: Don't they ever see you?
6: Oh, no. If they're awake, they can't see me at all.
16: That's it? Judy and I wondered why we didn't see you that Christmas we stayed awake all night and watched. But our presents were there Christmas morning just the same.
6: (laughs) I remember that time. I fooled you youngsters, didn't I? Now, by the way, I got your letters this year, too.
16: You did? Yes, well.
6: And I hope you'll be quite satisfied. Now, let's see about your silver star.
16: Did Melissa tell you what happened to it?
6: Oh, yes, indeed.
16: How did she talk to you, Santa
6: Claus? By shortwave. Radio is my hobby. When I have time to spare... Now, will you put the star on my desk so I can look it over? You bet.
16: There it is.
6: My, my, my. Certainly is smashed, isn't it? But that can be fixed. Oh, yes. Easily fixed.
18: Can you fix it in time for Christmas? Of course, you understand how important it is for us to have it by
1: then.
6: Ho, 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 ho. Indeed I do. I'm not going to fix it myself. No, that's a little out of my line. But I will take you personally to a man who specializes in that sort of work. Oh, Nicky.
16: Yes, Santa?
6: Have my sleigh and reindeer ordered, will you, please? And oh, yes. Have a couple of fur suits sent up for Judy and Jimmy. It's pretty cold out.
10: How about Crazy Quilt and me?
6: Huh? Oh, you were so quiet, Patio Cinnamon, that I almost forgot about you. Well, you're pretty well fixed by nature for the cold country. But I don't know about the crazy quill dragon. Uh, why not, Santa Claus? Well, you look as if you're just a bit the worse for wear. Let's see. A number of seams ripped and, oh, quite a tear over there. Oh,
5: yes. I did that when I tobogganed down to your palace. Oh, good gracious. Well, I think
6: a bit of tailoring wouldn't be amiss. Oh, Nicky! Call the tailoring establishment and arrange for a complete overhaul for the crazy quill dragon. Oh, thank you,
5: Santa Claus. I'm not too vain, I hope. But I don't feel my sartorial best when I've got so many rips and tears.
16: Is that all, Santa Claus?
6: Mm, yes, yes, I think so.
16: All right. Send up two fursuits to Santa Claus's office immediately. And what uh, size? He wants to know what size, Judy. I don't know. I guess about like yours. Size nine and three-quarters.
15: Nine and three-quarters, okay.
16: Have the sleigh and reindeer out in front of the palace.
15: Sleigh and reindeer, okay.
16: And tell the tailor shop to expect one crazy, quilt dragon for a complete overhaul. Complete overhaul of over a
15: dragon, right. All
6: right, now come along, Judy and Jimmy and Cinnamon Bear, and follow me. Uh, Nicky Frudel will show you where to go, Crazy Quilt. Oh, thanks ever so much, Santa.
5: Complete overhaul, huh? Hmm. Not bad. This
16: way, Crazy Quilt. Well, uh,
5: goodbye all. Uh, when I see you next, I promise a complete revelation.
6: <laughs> now, just a second while I button up my coat. <sighs>
16: Here are the suit, Santa. The service is extra good today.
6: Oh, fine. Now help yourself, children. Uh, you need any assistance with the fastenings?
16: No, thank you. Gee, willikers, we look almost like cinnamon
18: there.
6: <laughs> <laughs> well, all set. Mm. Ooh. Oh, it's pretty chilly out.
18: Well, we don't mind it now.
16: I don't see the snowman.
6: Well, I expect he's gone to lunch.
16: Oh, look, Judy. Here come the reindeer. Oh, my goodness. Gee, swell. Would you let me hold the reins a while, Santa?
6: No, oh, I'm afraid not, Jimmy. You know, these reindeer are funny. They won't obey anybody but me. You see, they're my own special private reindeer. And this is the sleigh in which I make my yearly visit to the world. All right, everybody. Here we go. Hi, Dunner and Blitzen. <laughs>
16: My goodness. Can you get everything into this one sleigh, Santa?
6: Well, not as much as I used to. I have to tie on a couple of trailers now. Oh, see that building over there?
16: Sure. What is it?
6: That's the candy factory.
16: Oh, it's a good thing the candy pirates don't come up here.
6: (laughs) Oh, we take care of them all right. Now, over there is the doll factory, Judy. And that one back there is the mechanical factory.
16: What are you making there, Santa?
6: Oh, toy trucks, engines, bicycles, electric trains, all all sorts of things. You know, I have a crew of specially trained brownies and elves in each of these factories, and they're busy all the year round.
11: Do you ever
10: have anything made in the big palace where you live?
6: Oh, a few special things, but that's where the toys are stored when they're finished, and every day there's an inspection in the Grand Hall. Oh, maybe you'd like to see one of the inspections after your scar's fixed. How about
18: You bet. Who is it you're
6: taking us to visit, Santa? Oh, you'll see in just a minute, Judy. His house is right over here. Oh, boys, oh! This is one of my best friends. Listen to him sing. That'll
5: tell you who he is. I'm Jack Frost, the world's most famous painter. And I deal in winter fixtures that are lovely to behold. I can paint a million pictures with my brushes and my mixtures. But I'd like the word much better if my feet were not so cold. I'm colder than November. I'm colder than an Eskimo. I'm colder than a clam. I'm colder than December. It's impossible to realize how cold I really am. I'm Jack Frost, the world's most famous painter. And according to the senses... I'm the only one who knows How to cross the roofs and fences With such gorgeous consequences But I'm feeling most despondent Cause my nose is almost (laughs) frozen I'm really rather chilly. I'm colder than a hundred polar bears have ever felt. This may sound rather silly, but I'd buy a radiator if I thought I would not melt
1: my
16: stuffing. So that's Jack Frost. I felt his fingers many a time, but I've never seen him. Look
18: at all the icicles on his cap.
6: Hi, Jack. Some friends to meet you.
19: Here's Judy, Jimmy, and the cinnamon bear. Uh, How do you do? Uh, Come in, won't you? Thanks, Mr.
16: Jack Frost. I'm
19: glad you dropped in. I'm on my vacation now. Nothing for me to do out into the world after the snow comes. Uh, Jack, my little friends Judy and Jimmy have had a bit
6: of trouble with a silver star which belongs on top of their Christmas tree. Yes? It's been badly smashed and needs fixing. Uh, show it to him, Jimmy.
16: Here it is, Mr. Frost.
19: Oh, that'll be easy. I'm extra good at stars.
18: I've often admired your work on the windows, Jack Frost.
19: Thanks, thanks. Yes, I do fairly good work, but I'll never be really satisfied until I learn how to frost a chocolate cake.
18: Oh, Mother, can frost cake like everything. Maybe she'd teach you. Good.
19: Next time I'm down your way, I'll try to find time for a lesson. Now, if you'll just step this way into my laboratory.
16: My, my. Just look at all the brushes and things. Willikers, it's wonderful. Uh,
19: This is where Jack does all his research work. It's beautiful. Uh, Now, let's see about the star. Hmm, this won't take a second. Just a bit of magic snow cement here and here and here and there. Oh why
16: well, why well, look, Jimmy. Well she's nice stuffing. Our silver star is all beautiful
18: again, just like it was before. Can I touch it, Mr. Frost? Oh, oh,
19: not for a minute. I'll put it here on the windowsill for a bit. It has to be exposed to the cold north wind to get good and solid. Now, while we're waiting, I'd like to show you a few of the designs I'm working on for next year's frosting.
16: Hmm, there's a big star in one of your designs. Do you like stars, Jack Frost? Better than anything. How many points do you put on your stars? He puts five, Judy. You can count them for yourself. I wonder how many there are on our star. I'll look and see. Jimmy!
6: Santa! Why, what's happened, Judy? The
16: star! It's not on the windowsill. It's gone.
15: Well, if it isn't one thing, it's two others. I was positive Judy and Jimmy had the star for keeps this time, but that's where I was mistaken. One thing is certain, however, if they don't get it mighty soon, it'll never be on top of their Christmas tree by December 25th. Let's be sure to listen next time and see what's happened.
2: Ladies and gents, now it is time to top it off with my strawberry and whipped cream. And now it's going to be the Great Gilder Sleeve stories for children, and it's Hansel and Gretel. You know, my strawberry is usually something that doesn't quite fit, so, um, and it just gives the kiddos a little extra something today. So. Here's Hansel and Gretel.
17: Did you ever hear the story of Hansel and Gretel? Well, this is it. Hansel was a little boy, and Gretel was his sister, and they lived with their father and stepmother in a tiny cottage near a wood. The father made his living cutting firewood for people, and the stepmother, well, she spent her time doing housework and complaining and being mean to Hansel and Gretel. There wasn't much money in the wood business, And when one year nothing came up in the family garden but radishes, and the chickens got so hungry they quit laying eggs, there just wasn't enough food to keep the family going. So one night the woodcutter's wife came to bed in her curl papers and said to her husband, Listen, dear, there isn't enough food for us and those two children of yours. Take them out to the woods tomorrow and lose them, or we'll all starve to death. No, honey, that's no way to talk, the woodcutter said. You see, he loved his children. But his wife was one of those women that just won't give up an idea and she nagged away at him until he finally gave up the next day he took Hansel and Gretel way, way into the forest miles from home and sneaked away and left them there to starve he felt pretty bad about it but he did it but fortunately the scheme didn't work Hansel was a pretty smart little boy and he'd overheard his father and stepmother talking so he filled his pockets with white pebbles and dropped them along the way into the woods When the moon came out, the pebbles sparkled so brightly, the children were able to find their way home with no trouble at all. The father was overjoyed to see them, but the stepmother wouldn't give up. The next night, she nagged and whined at her husband again. It's them or me, dear, she kept saying, and the poor woodcutter finally agreed, just so he could get some sleep. When Hansel overheard this and tried to creep out and get some more pebbles, he found his stepmother had locked the door. So when they started off the next day, he had nothing to leave along the way but some crumbs of bread she had given him for lunch, thinking, of course, it would be his last. She. And sure enough, Hansel's breadcrumbs didn't work out so well. When the moon came out and the children began to look for the path, they discovered some birds had eaten all the crumbs. So there they were, no path to take them home. Just big black trees with owls sitting around in the Hooting in the moonlight. Gretel began to cry. Oh, Hansel, she said,
11: we'll never find our way home. We're lost in the woods. The wild animals will eat
17: us. Now, Gretel, buck up, said Hansel. You're a big girl. The thing to do is to go to sleep under some leaves, and in the morning everything will be all right. So Gretel dried her eyes and got busy helping to fix a nice bed of leaves. And before you could say "soon," <laughs> the two children were fast asleep. When Hansel and Gretel woke up, the sun was shining, and the world looked a great deal brighter than it had the night before. So after a breakfast of roots and berries, they started off quite cheerfully, looking for a path that would take them back home. They walked and walked, but nothing seemed to lead anywhere. And finally, late in the afternoon, they found themselves right back where they'd started, with their bed of leaves still lying there under the tree. Discouraging, wasn't it? You see, this was before the days of Boy Scouts or Campfire Girls, so Hansel and Gretel didn't know how to tell directions by the sun. And they spent the next two days wandering around in the wood, getting nowhere at all. And all the time they were getting hungrier and hungrier, since they had nothing to eat but roots and berries. Maybe you've heard about how easy it is to live on roots and berries if you're lost in the woods. Well, don't you believe it? On the morning of the third day, Hansel and Gretel were sitting under a tree, wondering what to do next, when suddenly a beautiful white bird lit on a branch above their heads and began to sing. And as the white bird sang, the children began to feel better. They didn't feel tired or discouraged or even hungry anymore. When the bird finished his song, he circled above them for a moment and then flew slowly away, almost as if he were telling them to follow. And they did. They followed till they came to an open space, very sunny and cheerful, with a little cottage standing right in the middle of it. The white bird lit on the roof and the children went up closer. Hansel, said Gretel, do you see what I see? The whole house is made of cake. Careful, said Hansel, this may be a trap. But he broke off a little piece of the roof and popped it into his mouth. Mmm, delicious, he said with his mouth full. The best roof I ever ate in my life. Have some. But Gretel preferred to knock out a piece of one of the window panes, which were clear sugar. They were munching away, making up for three days of roots and berries, when the cottage door opened, and out came an old, old lady. Hansel and Gretel were so frightened they almost dropped what they were eating. But the old lady smiled and said,
11: Ah, you dear children, what has brought you here? Come in and
17: stay with me, and no harm shall befall you. And she led them inside, and gave them a wonderful supper. Pancakes and syrup, and nuts and apples, and two glasses of milk apiece. Then she showed them a room at the back of the house with two little white beds in it, all made up. Well, camping is all right, but a bed is better than a pile of leaves any day. And in a few minutes, Hansel and Gretel fell asleep, never dreaming that the kind old lady was really a terrible witch who loved to eat little boys and girls. Now of course we don't have witches anymore these days. For all I know they didn't have any in those days either. But they claim they did. And they claim they were terrible. I imagine this witch had got hold of Hansel and Gretel was just like all the others. Witches have red eyes. And they can't see very far. But they have long, sharp noses, and they can smell a little boy they'd like to eat long before they can see him. This particular old witch had built the house of cake on purpose to attract little children, so she could catch them and eat them. And early the next morning, she tiptoed into their room while they were still asleep and grabbed Hansel and dragged him out to a little wooden cage she had in the backyard and locked him up. Then she went back and yanked poor Gretel out of bed.
11: Get up, you lazy thing, there's cooking to be done. I'm going to fatten up your brother for a few days and then eat him.
17: Well, there was nothing Gretel could do but obey orders. So from that day on, she was fetching water from the well, sweeping, washing dishes, shelling peas, and getting nothing to eat but leftovers, while Hansel was kept locked up in his cage with nothing to do but eat, and plenty of that. Every morning, the witch would come out in the yard and say to Hansel,
11: Stretch out your finger, son, so as I can feel if you're getting fat.
17: But Hansel, I told you he was smart, didn't I? Hansel was in no hurry to be eaten up by the old witch, so he searched around the cage and found an old chicken bone left there by some unlucky little boy who'd been there before. And he stretched out the chicken bone instead of his finger. The witch, who was nearsighted, remembered, felt the chicken bone every morning and she couldn't understand why Hansel didn't seem to be fattening up (laughs) and after about a month she couldn't stand it any longer fat
11: or lean I'm going to eat that boy for supper tonight
17: she said and she sent Gretel for a bucket of water to boil her brother in poor Gretel she cried and cried but the witch only screamed at her to stop the noise
11: Yep. I think I'll put Hansel in the pie. I've got the dough all rolled out here. So as soon as the oven is hot,
17: I'll bake my crust. And she made Gretel run back and forth from the stove to the woodpile, till the fire under the oven was roaring. Oh, listen to that fire. When the oven was practically red-hot, the witch said to Gretel,
11: Crawl in the oven there, my girl, and see if it's hot enough for pie crust.
17: Well, anyone could see the oven was hot without crawling into it. And Gretel quickly understood that the witch was planning to push her in and bake her, so she could have the fun of eating both children at once. Now, I told you Hansel was smart, but he didn't have all the brains in the family, not by a long shot. So when the witch asked Gretel to stick her head in the oven, she pretended not to understand. I'm sorry, what is it you want me to do, she asked. Crawl in the oven, you stupid girl. But how, asked Gretel. Like this, you Minnie said the witch. And she crawled up and put her head in the oven. And that's where she made her big mistake. Because the minute her head was in, Gretel gave her a push that shoved her the rest of the way, then slammed the iron door and bolted. Oh, how the old witch howled. But Gretel ran away and let her burn to ashes. Well, you can imagine how glad Hansel was when Gretel came and let him out of the cage. And when she told him how she'd taken care of the witch, Hansel felt as proud as if he'd done it himself. In fact, he said so. I couldn't have done any better myself, Sissy he said, which made Gretel very happy. Uh, witches, by the way, were considered such a pest that if you were lucky enough to kill one, you were entitled to grab anything you found lying around her house. So when Hansel and Gretel found a huge pile of precious stones hidden in the kitchen cupboard, Hansel filled his pockets and Gretel filled her apron, and it was all perfectly right and proper. If we could only find our way home now, how happy we would be, the children thought. Just then they heard the sound of wings, and when they looked up, there was the beautiful white bird, circling above their heads and singing. And when he flew slowly off, they knew he must be taking them where they wanted to go. Sure enough, the white bird took them straight home, And I wish you could have seen the look on their father's face when they walked in the door. He hadn't had a happy moment since the day he'd left the children in the forest. And here they were, safe and sound. Also, his wife had fallen down a well and broken her neck the week before, so all his troubles were over. They uh, sold the precious stones to a king who lived in the neighborhood and used the money to build a modest little house in which they lived happily forever after.
2: Sad as it makes me, uh, we've got to part company now. So, um, I hope that you guys are having a very festive and very merry Christmas. I know I have had one today, uh, a much better one than I thought I was going to have, actually. And um, I just want to say that if you like what you heard and everything, leave us comments. If you didn't like what you heard, leave us comments. And, um, just, and if you, if you have any requests on what you'd like to hear, I'd like to hear that too. So, you know, just be sure and, uh, comment on YouTube or Facebook or somebody's book, Twitter or whatever you want to do. And, um, you know, we'll be glad to do our best to get it up for you, but to contact us, um. Facebook, whose blind life is it anyway? Or if you want to Facebook me, just plain old Monica Jones. Um, that's M O N I C A Jones. I had somebody ask me the other day if it had a K in it, <laughs> and um, if you want to tweet us. Tweet Victor at Blind B-L-I-N-D W H O S E. Tweet me at Moni 60 M-O-N-N-I 60. And if you want to email us, um, email Victor at Whose Blind Life Is It Anyway at gmail.com. Um Email me at coffeegal62, C-O-F-F-E-E-G-A-L-6-2, at gmail.com. And I think that just about does it, folks. Y'all have a very Merry Christmas and a Happy New
1: Year.